This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Another day, Tuesday, by the way. Happy It's Giving Tuesday. This is the day we give. Yesterday, we just took, took, took. G-I-V-E, give. Give. Hmm. Yeah, hashtag Giving Tuesday was created to help the giving season get started. <laughs> it's a give rap. Terry hates the give rap. No, I just I love how there's everything on YouTube nowadays. It's here to remind us that there is more to the holiday season than consumerism and commercialization. Really? Yeah. Okay. There's snowstorms like we experienced yesterday here. Yes. And I, I got we, we were taking our son to his basketball game and got stuck in traffic for two hours. So we didn't go to the game. Was there a, a wreck? Was there it snow was walking about the road? five inches of snow at, everyone... at a point. They call it the point of the mountain. Right. So yeah. Mother Nature was giving to you. Mother Nature giveth and taketh away. She tooketh away my son's game, which honestly I was very glad that hmm. – I mean it sounds bad. But I mean two hours in traffic versus basketball practice. It was a game and it was in like ten cities away. Yeah. Why do we do that? Come on. Because it's vastly important for you, your yeah. your child, to go play other children somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You can't play children just a couple blocks away. Yeah. No. That's not competition. How, you got to think about his NBA future. I know. <laughs> That's what it's all about. I know, because he'll, be, he'll make so <laughs> his, much money. And then we'll his college scholarship's on the line. Relax. It's got to start somewhere. It totally does. Here's a day, though, that Terry will celebrate Square Dancing Day. Mm. Now, just listen to this music for a minute. Okay. Tell me this doesn't remind you of, like, sixth grade yeah. P.E. Right. We, we had a dance in sixth yeah. grade. This is where you have to dance with the other. We did the electric uh. slide. Oh, yeah. And then followed it up with a little score dancing. Nice. Because, you know, let's have a variety. Let's, let's have a variety. I mean, but, you don't want to just do the electric And then a slide. teacher came up and go, look, tapped me on the shoulder. And go, You're dancing with the most emotion I've seen in this entire room. And I went, thanks for the warning. And I backed off. <laughs> By the way, this is a good example of how powerful love is. I thought I liked a girl in college. And so I took her to a country dance. Yeah, how'd that go? Uh... I was miserable, but pretended to like it. You didn't marry her, though, did you? Oh, no. Oh, no. Mm. It was doomed from the start. Seriously, this brings back sixth grade little boy fears. Like, don't make me touch her. (laughs) I don't want to touch a girl. Oh, those were the days. Those were the days. So today we will be celebrating all day Giving Tuesday and Square Dancing Day. Along with, hey, Donald Trump tweeted something last night. Quite a few somethings. Uh, We'll get into that as well. Will he ever learn? No. Plus, uh, should you eat GMO crops, genetically modified organisms? I'm to the point where, I mean, there are people who have a have a, a health issue, yeah, and genetically modified, you know, food might be a problem. There are other people that do it because it's trendy. So I'm not going to have GMO. Y- and then you, then yeah. you see products that obviously don't have any. They're they're like fresh. 
fruit and they say non-gmo well yeah you grew it on a tree you got to be careful though because unless it has that non-gmo certified stamp on it then it's not non-gmo for instance if you get that popcornopolis or whatever it is it'll say that it was made with non-gmo corn but that doesn't mean that it's non-gmo certified see and because of that i am pro-gmo right there we should have just played Nerd Alert. Yeah. Because he just went all GMO all over us. Yeah. That's a good point. So I, I will guess. support all GMO. We're going to bring on a distinguished university professor. Gitmo? You're yes. going to support Gitmo? That Gitmo too. Why not? Wow. It could be it could be the next Trump resort. It, it might be. <laughs> Mar-a-Lago South. Yeah. South, whatever it is. Uh, Southwest. Hey, uh, we're bringing on an entomologist. Yes. They study insects. They do. This one has also been studying GMO because most GMO is designed to kill to make it so the insects can't get to the get to the seed and to kill the crop. Yeah, just makes me think of tamales. Did you say no, entomologist? And entomologist. Oh, that would be an excellent study, though the study of tamales to get within the tamale. Yeah, just <laughs> uh, We'll get to all that fun about GMO, including um, the, they've released. The largest study of GMO and uh, related it products. Won't matter. It won't matter. It won't matter. But it'll, we're it'll just going to try to give you some it. facts and some research and eh. why they're doing it. So these people with like educations and stuff. Yeah, just talking down to us. Yeah, it's gonna, okay. This is the National Research Center's board on agriculture and natural resources. Will be we're going to be addressing so, there. Left wing think tank. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, get to all that fun in a bit um, about GMO. But first, let's go to the headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? The Department of Defense is investigating leaks related to, to David Petraeus the same day. The former CIA director met with President-elect Donald Trump, likely to discuss a possible cabinet position. The department's investigation reportedly centers on the leak of classified information related to Paula Broadwell, the ex-CIA's chief biographer with whom he had an affair and shared classified documents, leading to his resignation from the agency. After meeting with Petraeus on Monday, Trump spoke highly of the disgraced former CIA head. Just met with General Petraeus. Was very impressed, Trump tweeted. North Dakota Governor Jack Dalrymple ordered an emergency evacuation of campers at the Dakota Access Pipeline protest on Monday, citing dangerous weather. Winter conditions have the potential to endanger human life, especially when they are exposed to these conditions without proper shelter, dwellings, or sanitation for prolonged periods of time. Dalrymple wrote in a Monday evening press release ordering, ordering a mandatory evacuation of the campsite. Any protesters who re-enter the site or refuse to leave will be violating the law. The suspect in an attack at the Ohio State University on Monday morning has been identified as Abdul Razak Ali Atin. The siege, at which at least 10 victims were injured, one critically with a knife and a car, occurred around 9.40 a.m. outside the campus building. University police tweeted at about 10 a.m. to run, hide, fight, and a campus-wide shelter was lifted 90 minutes later. All classes were canceled for the day with the campus's 60,000 enrolled students. Police report the attacker was a 20-year-old OSU student who was a Somali refugee and a lawful permanent resident of the United States. And... Finally, yes. um, 
You know those crazy gingerbread contests that we have? Like the gingerbread house contest? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And how it gets sort of crazy sometimes. Oh, yeah. Well, violent, violent. This chef took the house or the cake, whatever you want to say. An Illinois County club chef paid tribute to the World Series champion Chicago clubs with a 400-pound gingerbread replica of Wrigley Field. Wow, that would be edible. Yes. So he is the head chef at Forest Hills County That's Club cool. in Rockford. Um he was trying to think of some crazy idea that he could do for it, um, and he thought of this. And so he said his team of chefs took more than 70 hours to create the Wrigley replica, wow. which features seats made from crackers, gelatin windows, and a scoreboard made from edible paper. And the only non-edible components, of course, are the playos, players made from Legos. Oh, yeah. Oh, they put Lego players. Yes. So Come they on. even had specific players within the field. I'd eat it. I mean, if I could make a 400-pound gingerbread house, I'm that's pretty sure big, I would win. That's a big stadium. It's it's pretty big. That's probably the biggest stadium ever made out of gingerbread. Most likely. I doubt it. There's probably someone that's done something crazy. Yeah, and, you, and they're probably, if I'm betting, from the Ohio State University, yeah. Nebraska, Alabama, Michigan, you just have Alabama. Some crazy fan base yeah, that would make some 5,000-pound gingerbread stadium. Wow, that's a great yeah. gingerbread story. It'd be great. Sadie, thank you. You done brought us the gingerbread man story. Hey, um, what a what is Donald not learning this thing about tweeting that we just shouldn't do it anymore? I don't know. I don't know if give well, us the latest. Give so us the latest overnight, and greatest. President Donald elect Donald Trump doubled down on claims of voter fraud Monday night, lashing out a journalist who dared ask for some evidence. Addressing several reporters, Trump wrote, there is, and this is all in caps, no question that voter fraud did take place and in favor of corrupt Hillary. As for those who expressed doubt about Trump's assertions, the president-elect then told him to put up or shut up. Pathetic. If you have, uh, you have no sufficient evidence that Donald Trump did not suffer from voter fraud, shame, bad reporter. <laughs> he went on to demand proof that Donald Trump did not suffer millions of voters. So he's asking them to prove right. his claim that they're asking. Well, you know. this all comes from Jill Stein, right? The Green well, Party yes. candidate that's now asking, demanding a recall. Seven million or so dollars in the coffers. She's asking Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And uh, who was it? Oh, Pennsylvania. She apparently missed the deadline. So well, it would, she has to it would, now take it to court. It would have been tougher in Pennsylvania because you have to do it by county. You can't do it. Yeah. You can't just petition the state. You have to petition every county. But apparently, she the, the date to do that was November twenty first, or and they've kind of missed that date. Yeah. So he goes on and he goes after a CNN journalist who specifically asked for evidence. Well, this whole voter fraud thing came from a guy named Greg Phillips. He's a board member from the conservative anti voter fraud group True the Vote. Oh, yeah. True he, the vote. He tweeted out November 13th that he had, quote, verified more than three million votes cast by non-citizens. Phillips has offered no proof of his claim and has since deleted that tweet. Oh. Right. But that was featured in a story written on the website Infowars. And it was, <laughs> uh, you know, pushed out by Drudge Report. Okay. And has 9,000 retweets. And, again, no proof, so no Trump's, evidence. So Trump's source uh, is backing off of his claim, apparently. Before Donald Trump spoke about it. Hmm. He okay. does know that he, he's got the job, right? Well, what, and, yeah, he, But he torpedoes himself. Yeah. He, he's got the job. It's like the guy that you hired, and then he keeps saying, holy cow, you should look at my background. Have you checked my background? And then it says the uh, one of the stranger things that the president-elect claims isn't uh, – that there's zero evidence to support it. 
it's that he's claiming have the, the reporters prove him wrong. This is all which seems yeah. kind of odd, a circular argument there. Yeah. But it's also he's turning away daily intelligence briefings. Sure. Those are so boring. Saying that it's looking at multiple sources, different sources of information instead of right. the sources he has at hand being the president. Okay, so if you had to choose between sitting and hearing a briefing from like a CIA national security expert or just call the president. Right. I'd, I'd rather call the president. In fact, Josh Ernest says he's been doing a lot of that. I can certainly confirm for you that the that the president uh, did have a telephone conversation with the president-elect on Saturday. Uh, they spoke for uh, you know 45 minutes or so. When uh, the president-elect was in the Oval Office with President Obama, uh, the president-elect indicated a desire to seek President Obama's advice and counsel repeatedly. President Obama made clear that he stood ready to offer that advice because of his underlying, enduring commitment to a smooth and effective transition from the Obama presidency into the next. Mm. Okay, I know I know exactly what he asked. What's that? Mr. Obama, what do you think about having a Secretary of State that has a history of losing intelligence and stealing intelligence? What if he just asked the president to kind of measure the doorways to the Oval Office to see if the bigger yeah. desk would fit through? Yeah, is my desk going to fit in there? Is my eagle... Who is this Josh Ernest? Is he on White House the spokesman? Spokesperson. Uh, notice he didn't name Trump. He said the no. president-elect, the yeah. president-elect, and then he said the next presidency. Or he who must not be named. That's a hard one. It's, uh, it's interesting because now Donald Trump is, is – uh, he met with Petraeus, General yep. Petraeus, who's I guess one of the leading contenders for secretary of state, they're saying. That's out there. Donald uh, – uh, still Rudy Giuliani's basically – Marked that territory as his. He wants that. Keeps talking about it. Mitt yeah. Romney, uh, you know, had a really good showing. I think he apparently is meeting today with today. the president mm-hmm. or with the president-elect. So we'll, we'll see, you know. By the way, Fran Townsend, great last name. Mm. She's meeting with the president as well. Distant cousin. Distant cousin. Oh, old Aunt Fran. <laughs> she hates it when I call her old. Um, no relation. Uh, but... I wonder what's going to happen with Romney because apparently it now has come out uh, through MSNBC. We talked about it yesterday that uh, Trump's a little ticked. Not happy that uh, people are speaking out against Romney from his team. Yeah. And apparently Kellyanne Conway is a little miffed at Reince Priebus as well. Like how come he gets all this position and power and she was well, the one that she was ran off- this. She was offered – this morning, the uh, the story came out. The AP says that she was offered the uh, let's see here, campaign She it doesn't say. What I had her right down. She was offered. She was, the, she was uh, offered a job, the spokesperson or the communications director oh, jobs, and yeah. she turned them both down, saying that uh, she plans she has more interest in serving as an outside political advisor. Oh, there you go. That's smart. You can probably make more money that way. Probably. Uh, you heard that Donald Trump picked his Health and Human Services uh, cabinet member. Did you hear about this? Yes. Tom Price. Yes. From who, Georgia. From Georgia, who, by the way, is a, a, repres- a congressman, right? But he's, the, he's like the number one opponent to, historically to Obamacare and is apparent, a, a, a doctor, orthopedic surgeon, and incredibly well-read and versed in how to replace Obamacare. Hopefully he has a plan. Apparently he has a really big plan. But what that does is it tips his hat to the fact that we're going with Price's plan. Because this is the guy. He's the guy. He's the guy. So it kind of shuts down anybody that was thinking, 
there might be discussion about this. But um, wow, interesting stuff. What do you what do you do? Uh, I wanted to play this clip from Carl Rove on all of the infighting going on around Romney. I just think it's unseemly and unconstructive. It makes Donald Trump, whatever the intention, look weak. It makes him look like he's waffling. It makes him look like he is uh, being pressured. And that's not what a president-elect or a president ought to look like. Second of all, it's not conducive to creating the right kind of atmosphere inside the White House to people feeling that they can give their private opinions directly to the president in front of their colleagues who might disagree with them and not worry about being uh, you know, outed in the newspaper, something leaked on their behalf, leaked to make them look stupid. That's a good point. Plus, it's it's kind of a call out to Trump. He, like, are you going to let these people make you look weak? Trump uh, kind of he runs his company by committee, and, and the the idea yeah. that they come to him, give him a bunch of ideas, and then he takes all those ideas and makes a decision. Which honestly, that's I think great leadership. It's, if you're doing that and people of that group start outing each other for, you know, no, a decision they don't like, I mean, you can't well, have that kind of by the confidence way, you're going to be able to and it was, have a voice. it was Kellyanne Conway who was the supposedly going to be the communications director who went straight to the press. Right. Does she not know that Donald every night well, sits, no. sits in the bathroom? She went to, and, she to Twitter. I know. So exactly goes, where he goes. You really exactly. think he's just like laying there in the tub? No, tweeting? I think he's sitting in his silk robe. Okay. On the edge of the tub at four in the morning, typing on his phone because he can't, you know, he can't do it in the bedroom because Melania has kicked him out. He, like, turn that light off. I mean, I, I don't know any of this factually, but I've just heard. So instead, he just sits in his slick robe and <sighs> isn't it fun? We will take a break, folks. When we come back, we're talking GMO, genetically modified organisms. Are they uh, safe to eat, unsafe? We'll get you the latest in the research. Again, may not get rid of all of your fears and concerns, but it will be factual. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live smarter lives. GMO, or genetically modified organisms, help grow crops to decrease the chance of crop failure and increase the yield of produce. Many parents, however, are concerned that this seemingly unnatural type of food is now entering their, uh, you know, their storage areas and as well as their kids' bellies. Is GMO, are GMO crops actually unsafe to eat? Here to speak with us is Dr. Fred Gould, professor of entomology at North Carolina State University. Help us uh, kind of sort through the GMO dilemma. Uh, Dr. Gould, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, I'm glad to be with you. Talk to us about about GMO. I mean, I know that there's been a, a massive um, you know, organization and study committee researching GMO to see if they're safe, uh, but there's a lot of people that just don't trust them. Yeah, yeah. So let me tell you just a little bit about our study. Um, So I was the chair of a committee of 20 professionals, all the way from molecular geneticists to sociologists and economists and food scientists, sort of looking into this safety issue. And, you know, there, there have been so many studies on this, and it really is this question about trust. And a lot of people think, well, all these studies have been done by the industry, and, well, they're the ones who gave us tobacco and gave us mm. all sorts of things. So how do I trust them? So 
as a group, we went back and tried to sort of look at everything with fresh eyes. And I don't want to go on forever, but just to say that we uh, invited to our committee a whole bunch of the most uh, famous or well-known critics of GMO safety Mm. and listened to them, right? So we had them come and talk to us and voice their concerns. And we took this all very seriously, and, you know, it took us two years to write a 400-page report on all of these aspects. Food safety was one major one. And we looked through all of the studies as carefully as possible and um, put those into our report. That's a great way to do this. And you were doing this as as a university, or you were doing it for the government? Well, so the National Academy of Sciences is – body of, you know, scientifically well-known scientists who um, work with the U.S. government. They're sort of separate from the government, but work to advise the government on scientific issues. That's, and that was that was the job. team. Yeah. Most, most of the people were academics who were on the committee. And, and two, to bring in the critics, I think, is, is really important. Um, talk to us, I guess, just for the average person who doesn't know or has not heard of a genetically modified organism. Wh- what is it? Why are we genetically modifying anything? And, um, and then what, uh, what, are, what were the concerns and what were, what were the outcomes? Yeah. Okay. Very good. So, I think people know that, you know, when they eat almost anything that they get in the supermarket, it has been genetically modified by conventional breeding. You know, we know that uh, in Mexico where maize or corn was developed, the earliest uh, settlers in Mexico didn't have, you know, sweet corn like we have today. It was developed, but it was developed. Uh, based on breeding or uh, sort of what would be considered a natural method of farmers saving the best seed that tasted the best and gave the highest yields. Well, that's been going on for a long time, and big companies like Pioneer have been doing it just maybe more efficiently. But recently, it's become possible to move genes around from one species to another that wouldn't normally, you know, mate and reproduce. And so there were certain things about some crops, uh, for example, uh, corn, I guess, it would be a good one, where there were some insects that feed on this corn that caused a lot of damage. And people typically try to breed the crops to be resistant to those insects, but they couldn't find the genes within the, all the maize and corn varieties available that would let them resist these insect pests. Hmm. So the researchers found a gene from a bacteria that um, would resist that insect pest, and they moved that gene into the corn plant. And that is called transgenic or genetically engineered transgenic because you're moving a gene, transferring it from one species to another. And that was that is the big difference. And the biggest difference, which is why an entomologist is talking to us, is it was mainly for the the bugs to control the pests from getting in and destroying the crop. Yeah. So there are two major traits. You know, there's a lot of talk about this, but there are two major traits that have been put into the crops. One of them is uh, to control the insect pests, and the other is to make the crop. Uh, be able to withstand the use of herbicides that kill the weeds. So there are some broad-spectrum herbicides, you know, that kill plants, Hmm. like uh, Roundup that's called glyphosate, right? Yeah. And 
if you sprayed that on a field, you'd kill all the weeds, but you'd kill your crop. So they found some genes that would make the crop be able to tolerate that herbicide, and that's the second trait that's been widely used. And yet this has been done since the earliest days of, uh, of man is, you know, trying to create a better and better crop. Um, people are just more affected by it now because it's, I guess, being done by major corporations in labs, and it's also it's changing the genetic you know, makeup of the yeah, plant. Yeah, and, and there are a lot of concerns. You know, that's why we listen to people who had concerns. And, you know, some people's concerns are, well, gee, you're, you know, inserting this gene into this random place in the genome. You know, could you be mm. uh, changing the composition of the plant in ways that you don't know? You know, could you, you know, and, and would you as a company look at that carefully enough? So that's the kind of studies that we were looking at is to... You know, we've had 20 years of experience with these crops. In the United States, people have been eating these crops since 1996. Okay. So that's really 20 years. And so we looked at all the data that was available that, you know, we could get our hands on. And in terms of food safety, you know, that was over 300 studies. And um, we looked at all of this um, in terms of, you know, what were these studies and what do they prove? And uh, if I could go on. Please, yeah. What did you find out? There, there were four different kinds of studies. You know, one is the typical one where you get a mouse or a rat and you feed them, you know, high amounts of these, the corn or the soybeans that's been genetically engineered and see if there are any uh, observable problems. There had been a couple of studies that seemed to show an effect on health, but when we looked at those studies carefully, we found that they were just very preliminary, and the statistics didn't really show a major effect. Mm. So, but we went back to a lot of the studies, and we found that they didn't show any real effects, but they could have been performed you know, somewhat better. But then we went on to look at other studies, for example, just really looking at everything we knew about the composition based on uh, biochemical studies of the plants, and we didn't see any difference. And then uh, we also looked at animal health. So, you know, there's places like Purdue Farms that grow lots of chickens, right? Yeah. And for them to make a profit, or the biggest profit possible, they want to be able to feed as little feed, a little, as little corn or soybeans to their chickens as possible to get out a big chicken that they could sell in the store. So if there was something wrong with the genetically modified grain that was being sold, they would notice even a half a percent decrease in the efficiency Hmm. of converting that into chicken. So we looked at the data on that, and we didn't see any evidence that there was any effect. And then finally, we compared people in the United States and Canada who've been eating these crops to people in England and the European Union who haven't been, to see if there were any evidence that there was there were more health problems developing in the countries where people were eating those crops, and again, we didn't find any evidence. So we took all of this, you know, and put that in the report. But one thing that we did that's not really typical is if you go to the website, and I think I gave you the information. All somebody has to type in is GE Crops National Academy of Sciences, and you'll find that report. And in the web page, we go through every reference we use, 
and we put down the affiliation of the person who led the study. Mm. So you could read the report and see if a study that we quote was done by somebody from industry or was funded by industry or it was done by academics or, or who was doing the study. So uh, our whole approach was to make our own conclusions, but to make it accessible so that a normal citizen could go in and look at what we concluded and see if they agreed with what we concluded. You're doing everything you can, it sounds like, to be thorough and transparent, because I I guess this is the issue too, right, is the industry – uh, we've heard the issues of Coca-Cola, you know, paying for their yep. research. We've heard right. the, the tobacco and all of that. And so really, um, I, I didn't know anything about this until I did a, a speech for about 400 farmers and realized what a big impact this makes in their life. Um, so, so really, you're not just trying to make more money for Purdue Farms. You're, you're, you're trying to make sure our our food sources are safe and healthy yet maximized to eliminate pests and to maximize the yield right yeah yeah that's basically it and and to be careful you know in terms of um the kinds of studies we use and also look towards the future you know so we can say that what we have on the market right now these two traits appear to be safe um you know i mean we can't say that it's you know not take off one year off your life or add a year to your life, right? Because you can't say that about anything. It's just after a twenty-year study, right? How much salt are you supposed to do? Yeah, so these tiny effects we can't talk about. But um, a major thing is to ask: Well, there may be some crops coming down the line in the future hmm. that would have much bigger changes, and what are those going to look like? But and how are they going to affect you? So we have quite a bit of the report is on that as well. And some of the health, I guess, issues. Um, are, are simply with GMO, it, it's simply the fact that you're using, you, you have to use less herbicide as well, right? I mean, okay, if, if so they can hold up against that. point here. You know, when we had all the critics come in, and as well as, as we also had all the companies come in, not all, but we had some of the largest companies and, and some smaller companies come in who were doing this kind of genetic engineering. And so... Some people will say, oh, herbicide use is lower than it used to be, and others will say it's higher than it used to be. And you go into the data, and you can see, you know, depending on how you slice the bread, you know, <laughs> you get a different kind of answer. But we looked at that pretty carefully, and we decided that the way people do this is pounds of herbicide used. And when we looked at the information more carefully, we realized that's a terrible measure because <laughs> If you put on 10 pounds of a pretty safe herbicide versus one pound of an unsafe herbicide, right? right? So it's not, you know, apples and oranges kind of thing. So I think that from our perspective, uh, everything we could look at didn't show any major changes in terms of environmental effects of these herbicides. You know, like the, the biodiversity on a farm was not uh, really significantly impacted by the changes from the conventional crops Mm. to the genetically engineered ones for the herbicides. For the insect-resistant crops, since you use less broad-spectrum insecticides that kill just about everything in their path, right, all the insects, we saw that by using the genetically engineered crops, you had more diversity of insects in your fields, Mm. typically at least. 
So that's which I assume uh, is healthier. Thing. Yeah, better. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay, let's do this. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Fred Gould, and uh, he's walking us through just kind of the the ABCs of uh, GMO, genetically modified organisms or genetic engineering, and uh, he's a professor of entomology at North Carolina State University, is talking about the committee that he chaired that put together uh, probably one of the best uh, overviews and understanding and understandings around GMO. Powerful resource, folks. We're, we're trying to just cut through the debate, get some of the facts out there, and uh, then you can decide. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Are you worried about your food having genetically modified organisms? Are you worried about, you know, the, that really nice steak you ate last night being fed by a G, with a GMO crop? <laughs> or the chicken that you love to eat from Purdue Farms? It's a, it's a concern, right? This is our food. This is, this is what's going to make us or break us. And uh, we have all of this science. We have all this technology. Are we supposed to be using the technology to modify the genetic you know, makeup of our food? Is that what we should be doing? Well, uh, our guest today is a lead researcher on a committee with the U.S. National Academy of Sciences. And uh, he also uh, serves on the National Research Center's Board on Agriculture and Natural Resources. He studies ecology and genetics of pests and to improve food production and human environmental health. Dr. Fred Gould is his name, professor of entomology at North Carolina State University. Dr. Gould, again, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, great. Talk to me about, um, because, I mean, I didn't even hear you know, anything about, you know, food allergies, wheat allergies, all of these different kind of allergies that keep coming out, gluten issues. And in my back of my head, I just I think it's got to be all this genetically engineered stuff that's creating this chaos in your research with your committee. As you've gone through all of the research around GMOs, is is that what's causing some of this? I mean, is there any connection to all of these other health issues that are coming up? Right. Well, that, that's a good question. All right. So I'll start with the wheat issue and um, gluten and all of that. Um, what most people don't realize is there is no genetically engineered wheat uh, grown commercially in the United States. Hmm. So when you get bread, you're getting just regular old wheat. Just regular old now, wheat, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, it certainly has been bred, uh, you know, by conventional methods, the same way it's been done for, you know, centuries in a way. Um, and people have uh, bread wheat to have higher and lower gluten. You know, if, if you're uh, developing a variety uh, to make bread, you might want higher gluten. You know, if you're making it something else, you might have lower gluten in it. So gluten has been, uh, you know, content has been changed by conventional breeding. But there is no GMO wheat in the U.S., um, the, now, there, 
you know, the other kinds of things, you know, the basic crops in the U.S. that have been engineered are uh, cotton and corn and soybean. And there are a few other things that have been, so uh, papaya in Hawaii um, and uh, some uh, varieties of squash um, that are resistant to viruses, That, and as well as in the uh, case of the papaya. Um, nobody has noticed any uh, changes that, sh- you know, are expected to cause allergies. Um, and people have done a lot of tests on the transgenics, you know, the corn, cotton, and uh, soybean, um, just to see if those genes that they put in could cause allergic effects. Mm. You know, testing for food allergies is very difficult, and we were very careful in our report to indicate that. But all the evidence to date uh, does not show any change um, in the allergic uh, qualities of those plants. And we also looked at, you know, again, I mentioned the, the Canadian and U.S. people compared to those in England and the EU in terms of food allergies over time to see if food allergies had increased at a different rate in the U.S. than they had in the uh, EU and, and in uh, England, and, and we didn't see any trend like that. Hmm. And again, this is only 20 years of testing, really, right? Right. But, I mean, that's uh, something. you say only 20 years yeah. of testing? Yeah. Or, wow, 20 years 20 of years testing. 20 years of testing, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's, is it is it um, is it producing the yield the, and increasing the yields for the farmers? Are they able to get more out of their yeah. crop out of their field? Well, boy, that's a good question. So you know, one of the critics who came to our committee in the beginning, um, you know, brought out the fact that he had done an independent study and didn't see any increases in yield due to the genetic engineering. So we went into that pretty deeply and looked at the United States Department of Agriculture data. Mm-hmm. And when we looked at it, you know, yields have been increasing over time for a long time. And we looked at data from the 1980s until now, and it's 1996 when the genetically engineered crops came in, and some people were talking about how we needed this to feed the world and it would increase yields faster, and we didn't see any evidence of that. So we had to agree with that critic that, we, you know, there weren't any strong evidence that, uh, genetic engineering was increasing the rate at which crop yields increased. Huh. So, so it, and you know there was a recent New York Times article, uh, you know, about that same topic, showing that in Europe uh, yields were increasing also. Hmm. If you look at wheat in the United States, which I just mentioned is not genetically engineered, it's been increasing in yield over time too. So, it's not as if without genetic engineering, uh, because of climate change or something else, things would have gotten slower. It's probably just that the kind of traits that have been developed weren't, weren't really developed to really just increase yield dramatically. Does, that doesn't mean it won't happen in the future, but right. it hasn't happened yet. How does this now, impact... In developing the, countries yeah. where crops were devastated by insect pests, of course, the mm. ones that were resistant to them had increased yield. So it's we're talking mostly about the U.S. here. Oh, I didn't think about that too. But just the exporting of these of the seeds that are GMO, um, and how that could impact certain countries, certain third world countries, and their ability to to maximize their yields and minimize yeah. their pest issues. Right. Powerful. What What about um, what is this doing day in and day out? To the farmer, the the average American farmer, how does GMO benefit them? Um, does it or or hurt them? 
Yeah, boy, uh, that's you know, it sounds like a simple question. Yeah. <laughs> that's a pretty tough one, you know, in a way, because of course, in the short term, um, you know, if you don't have to spray as many insecticides, um, you know, you make you know, you can make a, a larger profit, given that you don't pay so much for the seeds. And of course, the seeds that are genetically engineered cost more than the others. But the economic analyses have shown that there are, are profits to be made for those farmers, and that the use of the herbicide also uh, makes the farming practice simpler in that you you know don't have to be out there all the time scouting for weeds and that um, you probably don't have to use your tractor and go over the field as much you can have no-till and what that leads to is of course that a farmer can farm at a larger scale hmm. and so you know there are a lot of complications uh, of course if you produce too much corn the price of corn goes down as we've seen recently and then that can eat into the farmer's profits. So we all know that, you know, for farmers, uh, the economics are complicated. And, you know, sometimes the farmers in North Carolina will wish for a bad year for the Florida farmers so there won't be so many potatoes around at a certain time of the year so they can get a higher price on them. Right. So if we start producing a lot, there are a lot of complicated economic factors that go in. So there's not a simple answer hmm. on that. Does is it is it decreasing our overall food price? Is GMO benefiting uh, us financially? Yeah, that's yeah, same problem. Yeah. I mean, that one's a, also. I don't know of anyone who has uh, really felt like they could prove that food prices have gone down. But you know, if you think about the price of corn chips, and you think, okay, how much of that price is due to a change in the price of the corn itself? versus all the processing, all the marketing, all the transportation, the price of the corn is, is a small part of that. So a small change in the price of corn is unlikely to have a big, you know, have any kind of major effect on the price hmm. of your corn chips. Because one of the things that's in the back of my head is, you know, major organizations, corporations put a lot of money behind this, and then they become you know, the, the major broker of our food industry. And I wonder if, is, is that a problem where genetically engineered uh, crops, it, it's not something the average farmer is doing, you know, in his own barn. It's something, right, right, so right. do we need to worry about major yeah. corporations being the ones that now are in charge of our food, you know, process? Well, boy, I'll tell you, that's something that a lot of people are concerned about and economists, um, are struggling with this issue because uh, there were basically six major corporations that you know are doing the genetic engineering right now, and they s swap traits with each other and, and patent uh, licensing and, and such. Um, but those six are in there are a lot of merger talks, and it may reduce to three. Mm. So when you think about three corporations having a lot of control, not all control, but a lot of control on the seed system, uh, that's something that economists have to work on in terms of, you know, does that spur more innovation because they're bigger, or does that lead to less competition because there are fewer? So um, that's something I could certainly see citizens uh, struggling with. Mm. Uh, years ago, we had lots and lots of independent um, corn breeders. Uh, a lot of it was done in the public in universities like North Carolina State University. But more and more of that is going to the private sector now. Yeah, it seems like it would have been a university kind of focus, area by area, uh, crop by crop. Right. What, um, 
the other thing that worries me is just simply the fact that we ha- we live in an ecosystem. It's the system's highly complex, and we introduce something now. I always just think of the butterfly effect that you know in a hundred years could do something else. Um, you know, five hundred miles away. What right. what what is the impact of uh, to the ecosystem? Are we are we you were saying that we're seeing more and more and different types of of animal or bug life um, in our on our farms again. Yeah. Is, is it healthy? Is it are, are well, we are we know, playing with lightning? It looks it looks like it's pretty healthy in those ways, but of course you know people uh, talk about the monarch butterfly, right? Yeah. and the fact that the herbicides now are becoming um, more effective and killing off the milkweed, which is what the monarch butterflies as as caterpillars feed on. So, you know, could that be leading to the demise of the monarch butterfly? You know, we looked into this, you know, pretty carefully, and uh, the results are pretty ambivalent as to whether this is having any impact or not, but more studies are being done. And the good thing there is that uh, companies and environmentalists are getting together to work together to study this problem. So, of course, there are always problems coming up. But, you know, one thing I say to people sometimes is, you know, you're worrying about the impact of these crops, these single genes on sometimes single species. But in the meantime, we're cutting down rainforests and other right. forests, you know. So where should we be putting our efforts? Uh, you know, these are all complicated questions. And I think it's a great sort of area for high school students and college students to start debating these issues. And uh, we think that our report is one resource they could use in in trying to think about these things as opposed to just going to the Internet to see what somebody has said about it. No, I, th- I think that's exactly right. And the mere fact that we're having the conversation, um, I-, I think, just informs people, lets everybody not just work out of fear and out of panic, but um, out of uh, some education. Again, if they want to get to your research study, uh, I found it um, genetic- genetically engineered crops. Is that the study I- experiences and prospects? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So tell everybody again how to get fun. there. Just type in GE two letters, GE, Crops, National Academy of Sciences. And you'll probably wind up on that page. There you go. What would you say, just as we wrap up, uh, you know, your kids, your grandkids, great-grandkids, what do you think about G- GMO for your family, your generation? We safe? We good? Well, I, I think that we always need citizen participation. You know, one of the things we saw in doing our report is that getting the critics involved, doing all of this, this is what democracy is about, and this is how democracy works. You know, we had uh, some researchers come from Turkey to visit our school and from Japan. Japan was a very interesting example of journalists from there hearing about our report and thinking, wow, you know, in Japan, the scientists would never think of bringing uh, citizens in or critics in to talk. They want to just do their technical analysis and tell people what's happening. And, you know, they saw it as a change because after Fukushima, you know, the yeah. nuclear thing, people lost trust in the government's handling of that because, they, you know, there was sort of a black box. Everybody said, oh, it's safe, it's safe. But people want to know more. And I think that in the future, we'll have a better society if we do allow uh, for more of this kind of discussion. 
Uh, some people are worried about that because people will not stick to the facts. And, you know, we, you got to stick to, you know, you got to look at what the facts are. But there are different values that people have and different concerns. No, so I, I think, think you're right. We do bail that. Oh, it's it's a perfect timing, too, I think, because I think it's a wonderful model and uh, example for how we could go about a lot of other issues from climate you know, climate issues to changing, you know, Obamacare and our health care management. Let's bring in the let's bring in everybody and have real conversations and uh, get people we trust that can that can just kind of sort through it all. Interesting stuff, folks. Information. It doesn't harm. It can help. Stick with us. Uh, thank you, Dr. Fred Gold, again, from uh, entom- Professor of Entomology at North Carolina State University for your great research. We'll take a break, come back, wrap up this uh, first hour of the show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball. Play ball. Welcome back, friends. Um, Again, remember, you live in a society where people are constantly marketing to you, at you. They need your pocketbook. And so there's also misinformation. We've had a lot in the last election talking about fake news and uh, how you can just spread so much, so many lies through a fake news article that you just push through Facebook, post to all your friends. And I'm afraid GMO may become part of that. Again, I get it. You're genetically messing with our food source. I get it. I get it. One thing, though, is the farmers have always been doing it and always been doing it to some degree. Now, sure, they haven't been changing the genetic you know, makeup of your corn, but they've always been playing with it. And then you bring in the herbicides, you bring in everything else that's going on. It's a highly complicated system. And Dr. Gould has a great point where he says, let's just open up the discussion and let's allow everybody's voice to be heard. And let's kind of let's try to go on the facts, not on the frenzy. To me, it's a great model for all of us. Let in more truth, let in more information, let in the critics and substantiate what we can Remember, you're going to be marketed on either side, go GMO or anti-GMO, but in the end, it's still your family. It's your decision. Make the decision that's best for you, but make it informed. We'll take a break. Next hour, more fun, more interesting ideas to help you live longer, love stronger. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Hey, are you sick and tired of email anxiety? You ever get frustrated, freaked out, a little overwhelmed by all of the emails you need to uh, get back to? Well, today's the day. Holy cow, have we got a a guest for you. Um, Jocelyn Gly will be joining us, talking to us about how to, you know, unsubscribe, how to kill that email anxiety. Just shoot it dead. We'll be getting into that. And we need to, for heaven's sakes. We apparently check our email 11 times per hour. What? I don't do that. 
I don't check my t- uh, my email eleven times a month. Do you look Do you look at your kids eleven times a day? Yes, I can't get enough of them. They're beautiful. Uh, One hundred twenty two apparently messages were processing a day, or more. Who are these people? Do you get that many? Yeah. Really? Yeah, but it's uh, you look at it and you go, I don't care. Move on. But occasionally. Something comes down the line. A lot of it's just for the show. After I'm out of here, I don't really care that much. Yeah. I don't we care. need to have an email sent out about pointless emails. Yeah. Let's. In fact, uh, we need somebody to write up that email about pointless emails. And why don't you work on that, Terry? Okay. I'll assign someone. <laughs> just pass that down the line. Can you do it in an email? See right there. We yes. just we just we just described the problem mm. with email anxiety is that. We just created anxiety for one of the producers who now has to write an email they care nothing about. But I'll I'll frame it in a way that they'll think it's very important. Oh, okay. That, that'll so, help. Yeah. That'll help induce a little bit more anxiety. We'll get into all of that fun, how to unsubscribe and kill the email anxiety. you got to learn that one, so stick with us on that. Plus, of course, we will continue the celebration as only we can on uh, Giving Tuesday. This is one of the greatest primary songs ever. You know, there are probably some songs that the Motab should just, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir should just not sing. Why? This is this is a kid favorite. This is what you sing in Sunday school as a little kid. Give said the little stream. Give, oh, give away. You just give, give, give. It's beautiful. You don't think the Mormon Tabernacle Choir should be singing this? Well, it's kind of like when they sing their pop songs. Oh yeah, that's you know it. it's yeah, yeah. Doesn't it just doesn't sound quite right? Yeah, when they sing, "You ain't nothing but a hound dog." Do you remember that? The Mormon Tabernacle Choir's version of that one. You ain't nothing but a hound. I think dog. they had Elvis there too. I think Elvis was there. Elvis and was, they were the backup singers. He was in the building. It's also, by the way, Square Dancing Day. You can't get enough square dancing, or as Terry calls it, the big party on the weekend. What? No. You're a line dancer. You're a square dancer. You get out there. I know. I've seen your belt buckle. More of a couch surfer. No, there's not couches there. This is actually a square dancing family's family reunion, and he's oh, he's describing the uh, instructions nobody. on how to get their food. Oh, so, yeah. like, every time a, a parent in a square dancing family gives yeah. instructions, this is what this, it sounds like. It sounds like, like this. Yep. Somebody go around, starts playing the guitar. Go around, go around the, the other side of the table. Yeah. Do si do. Hand your hand your spouse a roll. Because <laughs> it's always some version of pulled pork sandwich. Okay, let me ask you this: What makes you more anxious? Uh, your emails or going to a party and they say, "Hey, we're going to square dance." Which one makes your heart jump more? I if they said we're square dancing, I'd leave. That's rude. I just turn and walk out. As long as they didn't say we've run out of uh, Cheetos or we've run out of pulled pork sandwiches. You're fine. I'm okay. Sadie loves a good square dance. Isn't that right, Sadie? Can you turn your mic on for us? Yes. Because you, you're in there dancing anyway. I mean, I dance every day. so I know, but you probably ought not do that. Yeah. Some people should only be allowed to dance within a square. <laughs> like you can dance in that little square and that's yeah. it. Don't dance out of the square. Preferably a room that's square so we can shut the doors. 
Mm. And the rest of us can go on with our lives, and you can have whatever conniption you're having. <laughs> you guys are anti-dancers. This, this got sad real quick. Really dark. Just partition you from everyone. <laughs> well, you guys are ruining square dancing yeah. for some people. Some people love it. I, more power to you. Have fun. Yeah. Live long and prosper. Or, yeah, whichever. Who said that? Spock. Yeah. I think Donald Trump. <laughs> Depends on the day. Uh, okay. We'll get to all of that fun. Uh, plus, crazy headlines. Um, a guy tries to burn down a house with Cheetos. I did not know. I know they have flaming hot Cheetos. Uh, I did yeah. not know they were flammable. Mm-hmm. But desecrating, I think, something very special. A Cheeto? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll get to that. But first to the headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? President-elect Donald Trump indicated after his initial White House meeting with President Obama that he would continue to seek advice and counsel from the man he will succeed. And he appears to be making good on that promise. According to the White House Press Secretary Joss Ernest, Trump has reached out to Obama for a series of phone conversations since they met face-to-face for the first time, including a 45-minute discussion this past Saturday that he characterized as a consultation. The Michigan Board of State... Canvassers on Monday certified that Donald Trump won the state in the 2016 general election, defeating Hillary Clinton by 10,704 votes. Green Party candidate Jill Stein has been awaiting Michigan's vote count certification to officially file for a recount there, along with Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, according to the three predominantly working class states that are believed to have handled the, the election to Trump. The 10,000 vote margin makes the 2016 the closest presidential election in Michigan in more than 75 years. And finally, yes. um, we have a very interesting story here. Um, I think I might be interested in going to this place. Not mm. quite sure. Is it a hoedown? No. Okay. Even better. The mayor of a Japanese city has pledged to construct an unusual spa amusement park after a concept video reached more than a million views. Uh, So what this spa amusement park would be is it would allow park visitors to enjoy rides that have been modified to allow the riders to soak in water from the hot springs because (laughs) the city has one of the largest hot springs in the world. Um, And so the mayor of the city said he would move forward with this only if... The YouTube video reached a million views, and now it has. And so they are going to move move forward with their spa amusement concept. Okay, let me get this straight. So you get on a roller coaster. Yes. And they fill it up with warm water? Hot water. Hot water. You know, from the spring. Okay, but here's the deal. If you ever got on a roller coaster with another person, and the next thing you felt was hot water or warm water. <laughs> right. My mama taught me to get off that roller coaster. <laughs> so now the, they're going to expect that the people video, will just stay on the roller coaster? The video had them one to a car. Oh, good. You're okay. in your own personal car. It's full of hot water. Well, okay. But, and you're sloshing around as you're on a roller but coaster. But at the end of the ride, isn't your car empty? <laughs> empty. Well, it, yes. with, especially if you go upside down. Yeah. But then, uh, and maybe, then you're maybe transferring the your water to someone else's water. Yeah, the cars at the back would catch all the water. Sounds relaxing So it's to like me. a shower, too. I like your zen... Ride music. Oh, this is played throughout the but, park. But once the warm water's gone, then you're just gonna you're just blowing in the freezing wind. It's, well, it's not gonna work unless, of no. course, it's not freezing wind. They have the big white puffy like uh, robes to wear, <laughs> right? So you get a nice cotton robe, and you, you just uh, feel good. It's, it's like a warm hug. Please keep your hands and your loofah 
<laughs> Some guy's taking a bath. In, in the uh, car at all times. Thank Your you. mind is becoming a sponge. <laughs> Just soak it in and relax. <laughs> Then they have, like, the marigold round. Again, it's just a huge hot tub. With just water splashing everywhere. Yeah. Oh, boy. You know what? I think they're pushing too hard. Thank you, though, Sadie. Just just go with the amusement park. People will show up. Yeah. All right. But by the way, it couldn't hurt. Some of the people at these amusement parks, they need a bath. <laughs> like midway through the day? Yeah. yeah. They need a shower. Yeah. But you may not want to go get into a hot bath, you know. No. Ugh. <laughs> okay. Um, let's, uh, okay, hold on. I am being told right now mm. that we have some breaking news. Nice. Uh, let's, let's get to the, the breaking news. I, 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 wow. Apparently, after six weeks, the police have arrested a guy for driving his neighbors crazy by blowing an air horn. Shik Shumway is with us. Uh, Shik is on the scene to walk us through what's going on here. Shik, what's up? We here at the Matt Townsend Show will do whatever it takes to bring you breaking news right when it happens, even if it means cutting a few corners on the way. The MT News Team, first on the scene, fifth on facts. The El Segundo, California Police Department noted that at around 4 a.m. Sunday, officers heard an extremely loud air horn Chick, Chick, Chick. Hey, friend. Chick Shumway. Chick, are you there? Chick. Could you hear him? No, he just kind of powered through that. Yeah, we'll have to get back to Chick. That was that was a loud air horn. Do you think he heard the air horn? I apparently he can't hear anything. He's deaf. Because I was, I thought we had, I thought I could. Just talk in his ear. But. Now, I've had it where I was doing a report, and then something happens in the room, and it just takes a, a real pro to just ignore that and yeah. just finish the yeah. report. Just The well, news comes first. Well, boy, that guy can focus. Shit can seriously focus. What you missed in El Segundo, California, police department at around 4 a.m. heard an extremely loud air horn, which we heard yeah. right there. By the way, Shik seemed a little lethargic at the very beginning. Did you notice that? It's probably because it was 4 a.m. Yeah. Uh, but inside, apparently it was coming from a, a car, a Chevy Aveo, driving around, and they pulled it over. Inside was John Nugent. Uh, no, I don't know if it's related to Ted. It's Ted's brother. Um, and he had air horn equipment, and Nugent admitted to using this to stir residents out of sleep. Hmm. Several locals emerged from their homes after hearing the air horn and made a citizen's arrest on Nugent. I didn't know you could really do that. Citizens arrest. <laughs> we need to have we need to make we need to interview somebody that has done a citizens arrest. Hmm. I think that would be fascinating hmm. to just find out exactly how you go about doing that. I mean, you have to say, "I am now placing you under citizens arrest." Do you, yeah. do you have a phrase you say? Do you read them the citizen rights? Do you do it before yeah, and a, b- before or after the taser? Mm. Always before the taser. Okay. Had the residents not come out, the cops would have only been able to give Nugent a slap on the wrist for the traffic infraction. The L.A. Times reported that uh, the Blair Fest was apparently Nugent's way of retaliating against someone in the area with whom he had a disagreement. Apparently, he's been blowing that air horn for six weeks. (laughs) Wow. But we got on it. I think we're the first – Shik Shumway, 
was the first reporter on the scene. Well, outside the L.A. Times. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The first radio show, I guess. The I'm national saying. reporter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because L.A. Times is local, And he gave obviously. us a report. It was a wonderful report. We just couldn't hear it. Can we, no. can we please move on to the next story? Why? I just – I don't like talking about air horns. I forgot. This is a very sensitive subject for Jeffrey. Oh. Do you know that Jeff suffered a traumatic air horn injury? He did. He really did. Wow. It's not to be laughed at. When I was 11 years old, my cousin who was a year younger than me blew an air horn in my right ear. Right there. Like cupped his head almost with it and cupped his ear. Wow. Mm. And now I don't hear so well in that right ear. What? Hmm? Who? Is that why you always turn your head? Because you always turn your head. Which ear was it? I'm not going to tell you now. You always turn your head. I think it's to the right. <laughs> That's a true story. He really did. He ruined it. I mean, you can't have an, ear, an air horn right over your ear. No. And his I, I cousin did. may it. even say on the bottle not to do that. Yeah. His estranged cousin. Hmm. He hasn't seen him since the or just in strange. years. Since, I haven't seen him in years <laughs> since the accident. Well, I'm sorry that happened. I didn't realize that we had brought that trauma back to memory. Hmm. What? Huh? What? Yeah. Well, but make sure you go check on Schick too, will you? Yeah, sure. He, he did I, seem distraught. A I wonder bit. if he's still going. He might be still going. As long as the the blast is gone, I will approach the scene. <laughs> that was crazy. Uh, okay, so let's just – boy, I just feel so bad about bringing up the air horn. I forgot that you had had that problem. Well, let's That's just move on. That's not a joke. I mean it's a true story. Mm-hmm. It's a true story. Just, just move on. I can't. Continuing to bad. talk about it doesn't help. I know, but he's – He's okay. Just, he he's just a, wiped a tear. He'll move on. He'll be fine. So you're supposed to provide therapy, and I feel like you're erasing years of therapy right now. I know. I'm or, sorry. Or causing the need for more, which is just sort of a money-making situation for you. No, I, I'm moving on right now. All this profiteering on the show. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> is there a profit being made? Did we? Well, you're trying yeah. really hard. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll be getting into how to unsubscribe, how to kill the e- your email anxiety. It's overwhelming. If you're not careful, you're going to just get sucked into that vortex of emails Stick with us, folks. Interesting topic coming up. Bring back uh, some peace to your life. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. The average person checks their email 11 times per hour, apparently, and processes 122 messages a day, spends 28% of their total work week managing their inbox. What was once a powerful and essential tool for doing our daily work has become a near constant source of frustration, anxiety, and distraction from our work. Here to teach us how to manage our frustration, anxiety, and distraction is, and to and how to declutter our inbox, is Jocelyn Gly. She's the author of the new book, Unsubscribe, How to Kill Email Anxiety, Avoid Distraction, and Get Real Work Done. Jocelyn, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. What a, what a great time to save us because um, it seems like if you don't control your email, 
and really all your technology, it, it will have a tendency to just overrun you, right? Yeah, I mean, I think you you made the ass comparison there. It's kind of email and is in a way um, sort of a microcosm of all of our problems with technology. And I think that, um, you know, it's really the number one distraction in the workplace at this moment in time. And it's kind of indicative of how we manage email is really indicative of our ability to sort of manage our attention in general. So I think if we can kind of master our email, then we'll sort of have mastered, uh, you know, really the challenge of, of paying attention in this age of distraction that we're living in right now. How did you decide to write this book? You're a blogger and uh, a writer, but what made you decide, okay, I'm, I'm going to write about email anxiety and distraction? Well, I really um, have focused for probably about the past eight years in kind of researching what helps um, make people more um, productive and creative in the workplace. And I really saw email as being uh, one of the number one factors that is really actually um, making people less productive and less creative at work. And so I wanted to kind of dig into why that was and, and how we might be able to make some positive changes. Mm. Why, why are we so addicted to it? Why, what does it do to us that makes us think that we need to actually check it 11 times an hour? That's crazy. <laughs> it is kind of crazy. Um, but it actually sort of taps into um, some key brain chemistry that's pretty hard to get past. There's sort of two factors. Um, the first one is this thing called random rewards. And essentially, you can kind of think about your email like a slot machine and, you know, kind of tapped into that same thing that keeps you really addicted to playing slots. If you think about, you know, most of the time you go to check your email and you kind of, you know, sort of pull the lever, you know, to see what you get. Most of the time you lose, you know, you get something that maybe isn't very enjoyable. You know, you get an email from an angry customer or you get an email from your boss asking you to do something maybe that you don't really want to do. But every once in a while, you get something really great. You know, maybe it's uh, an invitation to speak at a conference. It's very flattering. Or an email from a long-lost friend. And it's those random rewards that are kind of mixed in with all that other stuff that's mm. maybe a little bit annoying, a little bit distracting that keep us really addicted. They kind of tap into the sort of primal seeking mechanism that, um, you know, is part of our brain chemistry. And that's the first point. And then there's a second point, which is really this thing called completion bias, which is that our brains, um, when we recognize a task as complete, release dopamine, and that makes us feel pleasure and makes us sort of want to repeat that behavior again and again. And so if you think about your inbox, you think about that like obsession with inbox zero that people have, that's almost like a sort of ultimate completion. But at the same time, you know, even as you move along, right, kind of ticking off those unread messages, you get this kind of little mini hit of completion. And that, again, kind of feeds into that brain chemistry. We like to see that progress. We like to get those really kind of quick hits of completion. We do. It's And then you get that, that mentality of kind of zeroing out your inbox and, oh, look how clean it is. Look how clean it is. But you, you mm-hmm. used an interesting word, a mini hit. It's like a drug addiction. Yeah. No, I mean, it's exactly, it's exactly like that. And, um, you know, you made that comparison to other technologies. You know, that same thing kind of factors into, you know, social media and kind of checking off notifications and, and all of those factors. So I think we're experiencing that from technology um, on uh, many, many different uh, sides. And, and the, sort of, the sort of effect of that completion bias is that it makes us really predisposed to focus on quick, easy-to-finish tasks. Um, but in a way, that kind of has, when there's so many you know, different technologies, including email, 
offering us that completion bias, it can lead us to really focus on busy work at the expense of maybe neglecting some of the more challenging long-term work that will be a bit more meaningful in the long run. Mm. It's interesting. We don't get, we don't always get that same completion task, you know, benefit being with our kids, right? Because we don't always, (laughs) there's no completion to this. It's, it just keeps going and going and going. So we might, we might postpone that. Completely. Well, there's actually some really interesting research about that the things that bring us happiness and the things that bring us meaning are actually quite different things, that happiness really revolves around sort of being rewarded in the present moment, whereas meaning comes from kind of connecting past, present, and future, and really completing sort of more difficult tasks, whether, you know, be building a business or, as you suggest, you know, raising a child. Those are the tasks that are more meaningful, but they're also the tasks that are, that are more difficult <laughs> oh, that's scary, Jocelyn. That's that's going to get us in trouble. Um, so how – okay, so you've been studying this forever, writing about it forever. How do we – how do we manage this? How do we unsubscribe? And because the, the other component you bring up is the anxiety of it. And I guess mm-hmm. the anxiety is almost the addict needing its fix – um, or those that have such an aversion to it that they're constantly afraid of what the surprise is going to be, the randomness of the reward. Because sometimes it's not mm-hmm. a random reward. It's a random stick to the head. You know, <laughs> the email is sometimes is scary, like, Ugh, now I got to handle that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think there's a couple different things. Um, you know, first, to kind of counteract that sort of completion bias, thinking about how you can actually – Um, make progress visible in the work that's more meaningful. So when you're working on those long-term projects, um, you know, are there ways for you to um, track your progress and make it a bit more visible, whether that's just, you know, taking two to five minutes at the end of the day to keep um, a little notebook or journal and kind of write down your sort of small wins or, you know, baby steps you've um, taken to move towards the goal or for myself, I have a calendar next to my desk. I write down my um, words written uh, every day because I'm a writer. So having some meaningful kind of daily metric that you track um, can help kind of activate that completion bias, um, you know, in the work that's a bit more meaningful to you. Mm. Um, and then, you know, additionally, I think one of the things that's the most powerful, quite challenging to do is um, they kind of look at the way that most people process their email sort of two types, right, reactive people and then sort of people who are processing their email in batches. And, you know, reactors are kind of constantly nibbling on their email throughout the day, multitasking with email and so forth, um, whereas batchers are kind of designating two, three, or even four, you know, specific times a day to 100% focus on their email and then kind of ignore it for the rest of the time. Um, and research has shown that the batchers were more productive, less stressed, and um, happier in general. So it's a pretty strong case against trying to check your email reactively, but I think that's a hard shift for people to make. And I think, you know, it is like an addiction. So like anything, you kind of have to start slow, you know, figuring out like if you you really, really have a hard time, um, you know, not checking your email at all, you know, try to just go whatever it is, you know, for an hour or two, um, you know, and kind of start the process out slow. But I think anything that you can do to kind of shift from that um, out of that constant multitasking mode, um, and start to be able to focus more on some work outside of email and really see progress there can kind of you know start to maybe shift your mentality a bit. Mm. Well, and that's that's interesting because uh, I guess it's a learned skill, and you just need to maybe pay attention to how you do it. Identify 
what what is your hang up if you're the one that wants to munch on it all day i guess you're doing it for a reason um is there is there a positive reason to munch on it every day to be more of a reactor um you know i don't think there is a positive reason i think that the reason that we do that is because a lot of us don't really maybe take as proactive an approach as we should towards customizing our email inboxes i think we kind of tend to accept them as is um, you know, so take a very basic example, let's say you use Gmail, um, you know, and you want to go in and deal with emails that you've already received that you know you have, but then, you know, you get sidetracked by incoming messages, right? And kind of go down, you thought you'd spend 10 minutes on email, all of a sudden you spent two hours on email. Um, and that's because the email, right, is set up to distract you, like it's set up to eat as much of your attention as possible, but there are ways you can start to kind of tweak and customize. So. You know, one thing for Gmail might be there's a uh, extension, a browser extension you can download called Inbox Pause that allows you just to hit the pause button on your Gmail. So then you can kind of pause those incoming messages so that you can actually focus on, you know, the stuff that you really want to be focused <laughs> on when you're in there without getting distracted. Yeah. So I think just thinking about small tweaks can have a really outsized impact on your productivity. And I think a lot of us don't kind of go that extra step to just make those tweaks so that our email actually is less distracting. It's so true. I had I have I'm in Gmail all the time, and I had no idea you could pause it. You've just changed my <laughs> yeah. life, Jocelyn. Like Google inbox pause, and you'll find it. Oh my word! Where have you been? Um, one of the things that's crazy for me too is we spend so much time. There's a wonderful quote that says, "When are you going to stop swatting at the flies and go and patch the screen?" Mm-hmm. And we That's are we're so busy chasing the immediate and or reacting to the immediate email that most of us don't even know how to how to how to customize our inbox. We haven't spent that hour learning how to do that and making it so personal to us. Um, it's it's almost we you know we're too caught into the addiction to actually go cure the problem. Yeah, precisely. I think we're all we're all I think we're also sort of obsessed with doing and keeping busy. Um, you know, we're not kind of spending enough time uh, deciding what we should be doing in the first place. Um, so I think it's a great practice to just say, you know, every whatever, you know, six months or something, you know, just sit down and take a look at your email and take a look at other things and say, you know, is this working for me? And, you know, think up a couple of things that are kind of really holding you back. And, you know, Google, are there solutions to those specific problems and just take, you know, two or three hours, you know, one day every six months to make some tweaks that could be really, you know, have a really outsized impact for you it's powerful. in the long term. But I think, I think the other thing is that people are often, you know, we're sort of like, oh, you know, we feel so put upon by our email. It's so distracting. Like, oh, I wish I could be focused more on other work. But a lot of times because we get caught in that cycle, we don't take that time to really think about, well, what am I focused on in the big picture? So, mm. you know, a lot of the kind of first portion of the book, well, even throughout my book, is about kind of, yes, talking about email, but also talking about, okay, what is everything else that's happening around your email? You know, are you, have you figured out what those kind of meaningful goals are for you at work? Like, do you have them written down? Is it clear to you? You know, are you making your to-do list the night before so you wake up, like, very clear on what you want to accomplish in a given day? I think when you're trying to resist that pull of addiction of email, you need to be really, really clear on what you would rather be doing on what the kind of, you know, big picture goals are in order to sort of resist those random rewards. Mm. Let's take a break, Jocelyn. This is great insight. Um, Just trying to identify your meaning. We could get back to that as well. Plus, I want to ask you as a writer, 
how to overcome email writer block. Uh, sometimes you just have an email you need to send. I, I have two or three that I could. I just keep procrastinating, and it's killing me because then more and more pressure, more and more anxiety. Uh, we'll get a, we'll get uh, some insight from a true blue writer on how to overcome the email anxieties as well as avoiding distractions, getting some real work done. It's all in her book, Unsubscribe by Jocelyn Gly. Stick with us. We'll be right back. to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the line is Jocelyn Gly, and she is the author of the book Unsubscribe, How to Kill Email Anxiety, Avoid Distractions, and Get Real Work Done. You can go to her website, jkgly.com, jkglei.com, and uh, and find out more from her blog as well. And uh, Jocelyn, thank you again for being with us. Yeah, my pleasure. As we, as we talk about... Uh, the emails. I, I I have a lot of emails that I need to get out, but they demand some thinking. They demand some conflict, dealing with some conflict, um, and so we tend to procrastinate them. It's not as exciting as you know the the roulette that we play when we're getting all the good emails in. How do I? And as a writer, how do you um, teach us what we're supposed to do to make sure that we don't induce more anxiety by just procrastinating the hard email? <laughs> yeah, well, I think one of the things that happens a lot with email um, is particularly when, you know, you get an email from someone and, um, you know, you know that maybe they are very anxious to receive a reply from you, but you perhaps have, you know, some more important things on your to-do list that you need tends to first. Um, and so that creates a lot of anxiety on both ends, on, you know, because you know they're anxious, you know they want you to respond, but you're kind of unable to tend to it right then. So you're sort of putting it off, but it kind of creates this low-level tension. Um, and that's one aspect where I think um, we can start to um, kind of, you can sort of do what I call kind of reframing urgency. Um, I think one of the things that creates a lot of anxiety with email is um, people don't know if they're going to get a response from you and they don't know, you know, when they're going to get a response from you. So instead of putting it off, just kind of quickly um, letting them know where that email and where that concern kind of stands in your workload, Hmm. you know, so saying, okay, like, you know, I'm wrapped up in meetings all day. I, you know, I see your concern. I see your email. I'll get back to you, you know, first thing tomorrow morning and just kind of quickly reframing that so they understand when you're going to get to it. And also so you can kind of relax and feel like you've kind of retaken back control over your schedule. And, you know, there's not this sort of kind of someone almost kind of breathing down your neck waiting for you to respond. Um, so I think that's an important practice rather than just putting, you know, rather than just putting off that email that maybe requires a longer response. Mm. Um, that's great advice because you get it yeah. out of you to a point. You actually take the urgency out of it. You re you reframe it. You've you've reorganized it basically. Exactly. Yeah. I think a lot of people are afraid. You just kind of, you know, you just sort of freeze up and you're kind of like, oh, and you just don't deal with it. But then you kind of feel guilty the whole time. So I think a lot of times if you just understand, if you give people some context, they can be quite understanding. It's just sort of, you know, email is a bit like a black hole. So it's kind of like sometimes when they just don't even know when they're going to hear from you, that that really allows the anxiety to kind of continue to breed. Mm. Um, 
Some others, you know, maybe another kind of quick tip when you're thinking about putting up emails, emails particularly that require um, you maybe to deliver some, uh, you know, type of criticism or critical feedback or something like that. Um, I was having an interesting, I did an interview with Carol Dweck, who's the author of Mindset. Um, she's really the sort of psychological researcher behind this idea of the growth mindset that you may have heard of. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she was talking about the power of using this word yet when you offer people criticism. So think about the difference between, um, you know, let's say you're critiquing, you know, maybe a junior um, employee or something like that. And the difference between saying you're not good at negotiating versus saying you're not good at negotiating yet. Uh. Even just this tiny word kind of shifts someone from um, kind of onto kind of a timeline of learning and achievement versus, you know, kind of shutting them down cold or making them feel like a failure. So there's even just kind of little language tweaks that you can make, you know, thinking about like kind of little powerful words like that. Um, And I have actually in the back of the book, there's kind of a section of cheat sheets um, where I break down about 18 different scripts for, you know, some sort of difficult situations, whether it's like negotiating fees or delivering criticism or responding to angry customers um, to try and, you know, offer people some sort of very tactical um, stuff in terms of, you know, responding to difficult emails. I mean, because really, that's just some basic guide that we need. I think about how much, how many writing classes I had as a journalist, and yet what I needed is an email responding class, right? And that's <laughs> completely that's yeah, and I think one the of new the, future. Yeah, right. And I think one of the really interesting things to be aware of um, is this concept of something that I discovered while researching the book: this concept of negativity bias. So Daniel Goleman, who is the psychologist, um, who's kind of the father of this term emotional intelligence, which we're you know, probably yeah. all familiar with now, um, looked at the way that people dealt with emails, and he found that they had this natural negativity bias, So, which means basically between sort of the writing and the receiving, every email gets kind of downgraded a few positivity notches. <laughs> so if I feel positive about an email when I send it to you, when you receive it, you probably feel neutral about it. And if I feel neutral when I respect, when I send it to you, you probably feel negatively about it when you receive it. So everything kind of gets downgraded a little bit. And that's because the sort of social feedback loop is absent. You know, so normally we're talking now um, on the telephone. You know, you can hear my vocal tone. If we were speaking a person, you could see my gestures, my facial expression, right? And all of that kind of shades how you process the words that I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But an email that's absent, and in absence of that social feedback loop, we kind of tend to assume the worst. So, you know, that's an interesting case when you're writing those e- any email, but particularly maybe a tense email, it actually is kind of, um, you know, people are busy, they're, they're very distracted, you do want to be concise, but you also want to kind of also try to infuse some empathy and some, you know, encouragement or enthusiasm into those emails to kind of counteract that negativity bias. Yeah, which is why I guess having some of the samples that you put in there, some of the the keys um, can be helpful and, and just the right words. I mean, it's it's just it's a feel, isn't it? Except you, what you're feeling isn't necessarily what they're going to feel. They're going to lower it, apparently, by the negativity bias. You also talk about the respect. Uh, I think you call it the respect bias um, or the busy bias. So what does busyness do to us? Yeah, well, I think it's, um, you know, as, as we've kind of, you know, sort of been a theme throughout this conversation, right? I think everyone's overloaded. Everyone's overscheduled. Everyone's kind of overwhelmed these days. And so 
you know, when we think about writing an email, writing an email to someone, we're sort of like only focused on the email. But when they receive that email, you know, that's, they're processing that within a matrix of however, you know, who knows however many other things, right? They're processing your email against, you know, the 147 other emails they haven't, uh, you know, dealt with yet against the, you know, client deadline they have to meet later that day against the errands that they have to run later against, you know, the concern they have about their kid at school, you know, so it's kind of happening in this, you know, swirl of all of these other things. And that really governs how much attention they're willing to give that email, which I think is, you know, very, it's going to be a very quick flash of attention. And so I think we can no longer count unnecessarily the sort of, a, you know, benevolent attention from people. We really have to fight for it. We really have to earn it. Mm. So, it's particularly when you're emailing maybe someone you don't know or you don't have a tight relationship with already, you really have to kind of, you know, strive to command their attention to kind of um, establish your credibility to, you know, convince them that they need to pay attention to you, but all in the context of, you know, understanding that that you, you do need to be kind of uh, very concise at the same time. I, I guess that's that's so more and more people now are vying for our attention. So they're going to escalate urgency uh, to, to get us to pay attention. Yeah, well, yeah, I think, yeah, you're right. It does have kind of this effect of, I think, escalating um, the urgency. And I think the other thing that we have to be aware of is that, over um, half of emails are open for the first time on a mobile phone. So particularly a lot of times if we're writing an email, you know, say we're pitching someone or reaching out for an email that's really important to us, maybe to someone we don't know, a lot of times you draft those emails on a desktop. It looks, you know, might look really manageable. Mm-hmm. But then that person's going to receive that email on, you know, their cell phone. It might look like war and peace or something <laughs> when processed on that small right. screen. So you have to be conscious of that as well. And so I always recommend that sort of people kind of preview those emails on the small, you know, kind of on a small screen and see what that looks like. Because I think we're at this moment where if something looks overwhelming, it's, it's probably going to get ignored. We have to be very cognizant of that. Mm, that's interesting, isn't it? That's, uh, I guess, in the end, it, do these principles that you talk about with email, do they all apply with other social mediums as, as well? I mean, from Facebook to uh uh, Snapchat, which might be more visual. These these are p- pretty basic principles. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's one of the interesting things about kind of moving into this digital era is that more and more we're actually kind of being judged on our words alone, you know, sort of in absence of that social feedback loop. So the ability to um, write well, to command attention, to, you know, kind of communicate your ideas, um, you know, concisely and effectively is becoming an only you know, increasingly more valuable skill and something that translates, you know, from email to social media to, you know, any other written medium. So I think it's definitely worth, um, you know, kind of buckling down and trying to figure out how to how to really master that. You bet. Talk as just we wrap this up. What's the what would you say is the one key? If you, I always ask for like the one thing that, that can immediately impact us, create some positive uh, safe space for us to not feel so anxious with our emails. Uh, other than getting the book, what would be the next best <laughs> key? Yeah, well, I think studies have shown really that the more frequently you check the, your email, the more stressed you feel. So I think, uh, you know, the number one thing would really be trying to shift to um, a batch email approach. So defining, you know, 
two, three, four specific times a day that you're going to focus on your email and then really striving to, um, you know, to ignore it and focus on other tasks uh, for the rest of that time. And, you know, I think people find that a bit scary, but I think if you uh, experiment with it, you often find that, uh, you know, actually the world won't end and most people can wait an hour or two (laughs) for a response. So true. Jocelyn Gly is her name. Go to her website, jkgly.com, J-K-G-L-E-I.com, Jocelyn Gly. Uh, and, and check out her book, Unsubscribe, How to Kill Anxiety, Avoid Distractions, and Get Real Work Done. Stick with us when we come back. We'll be talking about the worst and best movie sequels up next with Caitlin Thomas. We'll be right back. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Mm-hmm. There are many controversial topics that we've talked about on this show, from elections to news stories. But on this show, we are afraid of nothing. We will tackle every issue. Joining us today, Caitlin Thomas is here to talk about the most controversial of topics, movie sequels. Do we love them or hate them? Let's find out with Caitlin. Caitlin, hello. Hello. I, by the way, have been watching the Star Trek uh, sequels. The the, the last three. The older ones no. or the new ones? The, the new, Chris Pine ones. Yes. Is uh, that his name? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm really, don't pretend like you don't know. I really don't know. But I really think he – is he Captain Kirk? <laughs> yes. He makes, a, Kirk. he makes a wonderful Captain yeah. Kirk. And I would watch these forever. Yeah, I, those sequels are pretty good. I never got into the other Star Trek stuff. The Live Long and Prosper mm-hmm. yeah. stuff. My dad loves those. But I love these sequels. So Yeah, they're pretty good. But it also seems like when it comes to movies, people are struggling making sequels. Well, yeah, because here's the thing. This is what I keep hearing, that we live in the world that is running out of creativity. Yes. And so instead of making new movies with new storylines, they're just taking the same storyline and remaking it with different faces, or they're literally just making sequel on sequel on sequel Mm -hmm. of movies. Yeah, boring. I don't know how I feel about that. This all sparked because um, for everyone listening, especially all my females out there listening, the Gilmore Girls, Mm -hmm. A Year in the Life, just premiered on Netflix over the weekend. Oh, okay. And so that's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, these sequels, like people just keep making them. Gilmore Girls was pretty good, though. It was a pretty good continuation. But then I started thinking about all the really bad sequels that exist, and I just was like, we got to give, talk give about me an this. example of a bad one. Okay, so I went online. So these are some of my own and some off the internet. Like, for example, Grease 2, the yeah. sequel to Grease. I don't think I what saw it. What was that? It was greasy. It was so bad. I didn't see that one. Yeah, you didn't miss much. I liked the first one. You can't compare. You can't compare. Like, that should have just been one. They should have just left it alone. Mm-hmm. She was my first girlfriend. What was her name? Sandy. Yeah, Sandy. What was her uh, real name? D- I don't know. Olivia Newton-John. Olivia John. She was she one was of my first played girlfriends. played by Michelle Pfeiffer in the sequel. Yeah, it yeah. was like a 30-year-old playing a high school girl, but it's fine. Nothing wrong with that. I'm one of the few people that didn't like the first one. Uh, bye, Jeff. Wow. <laughs> And then, did you ever see the movie Mask, The Mask with Jim Carrey? Yes. Uh-huh. That was super good, right? That was did you great. know they made Son of the Mask? No. And it was really bad. Bomb. Zapped. Should have just left that one alone. Oh, man. That's sad. Oh, speaking of, so the three original Indiana Jones. Uh-huh. Those were phenomenal. great. Phenomenal. And then they came out with Indiana Jones, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Did mm. you like that one? I didn't see that one, I don't think. It had aliens in it. What's wrong with that? With Indiana Jones? 
Oh. No, I, I didn't love it. I think I was one of the few people that actually liked that. It was mind reading aliens. This is the same know, guy that like hated Greece. Sh- yeah. I'm not sure if we should listen to Joe. He likes aliens. Anyways, and then you had the phenomenal original three Star Wars movies. Mm. And then they came out with The Phantom Menace. They struggled there. They Jar struggled Jar Binks. Mm. And like, I couldn't even stand him in the trailer. And then I had to have a whole movie with him. And I couldn't do it. <laughs> I like Jar Jar. Misa, hate me, Phantom Menace. Oh, my goodness. So those are just some of the bad ones. You know that that's his cuddle talk right there. So yeah. that's what, that's why his wife fell in love with him. That's weird. Jar Jar Binks. Gross. <laughs> but can you think of any sequels that you've hated and putting on the hot seat? Well, the thing is, I don't. I'm not into. Are you not into sequels? Movies as much. What about, I mean, like. You've uh, seen more movies than I have. What are you talking about? If you, even movies? Disney's I done some sequels that I haven't loved. Um, well, yeah, I never, like, <gasps> Toy Story, I never got into, I couldn't, I once you've seen Toy Story, I couldn't keep watching <gasps> Toy Story See, but movies. that's on some of my best. I think Toy Story 2 was a really good sequel. How'd you feel about to- Toy Story 7? What? We're they're not, not there not, they're yet. They're not there yet. Okay. Cars 2, worse than straight-to-DVD quality. Oh, see... Cars was pretty decent. You should have just left that Man. one alone, Disney. Come on now. But now they've got a third one coming out. No. Yeah, that's See? and that, but that looks sad. They're still trying to make it, money. It's off got of a it. sad twist in it. It looks I know. like. Okay, but here's some good ones. Okay. So we're gonna talk about the happy stuff now, like Toy Story two. That's a good sequel. Gandhi two. I loved Gandhi two. I loved Gandhi one, but Gandhi two. <laughs> okay. Mm, okay. Maybe not. But uh, the Hunger Games, Catching Fire. Good sequel. Okay. Did yeah. you like it? I like that. Yeah. That, was, that good. was a good one. I mean, granted, it's a book, so it's a little bit easier to make a sequel right. than a book. But it was still a good one. Uh, the Born Supremacy. Oh. Sequel to Born Identity. Yeah. I love those. No, the problem is they don't come out fast enough. No, I know. They just keep dragging. But Jason Bourne, I mean, they're cool. How about the new one that uh, Tom Cruise plays in? It's a Jack Reacher. Jack, Jack Reacher, Reacher too. That was that whatever yeah, the Jack new one Reacher is. Yeah, Jack Reacher 2 was really that was good. good. That was yeah, good. Yeah, that one's good. Um we have let's see Batman Returns, the old one sequel to Batman. I can't I don't watch those. No. Oh, okay, but did you watch so that you have Batman Begins? Mm. You know, Christopher Nolan mm. and then you have The Dark Knight. Come on, Jeff, help me out here. You didn't like those movies? I the don't Christopher remember Nolan movies. I don't. What? I was I think no. I was getting my PhD during all of Heath that. Heath Ledger won an Oscar yeah. for playing the Joker. That's oh, yeah, I why that The Dark Knight one. is one of the better sequels out there because of Heath Ledger's role in that movie. So Give us one more. Give me one that'll just Jaws six. Um, Lord of the Rings, the sushi two edition. The two towers. Uh, yeah, Ooh, the you gotta love that. That, that was... was one of the best ones. It's got that iconic battle scene at the mm. end. You love a yeah. good battle scene. Well, again, that was a book though, so I think it must be easier to make sequels when there's an actual book storyline to already follow. Yes, someone's written already it. written it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> Moral of the story is, guys, 2016 is coming to an end in another month. Pray for better sequels. Pray for better sequels in 2017. Great advice. (laughs) Caitlin Thomas, thank you. That was easy. That was fun. Come back Thursday. We're going to start our Christmas topics. Oh, how exciting. I need to start watching some sequels, apparently. Star Trek's the only sequel I've been watching lately. Yeah, get on the Dark Knight trilogy stuff. That's good. Mm, The Dark Knight trilogy. Sounds like a bad, you know, antibiotic program you got to be on. (laughs) We will take a break, folks. Come back and uh, continue the journey. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today we're going to be covering family dinner. Oh, boy. Now you need to make family dinner. Yeah. In fact, why not make another turkey? Since we just had Thanksgiving. Yeah. All about together time. Jeff and I have been talking about the fact that turkey does not need to be just one meal a year. No. You could you can make another turkey. I bet you can get a good deal on them right now, too. 99 cents a pound. I, I understand the argument if you have it too much, then it's not as special. But if you only have it once a year, there's too much pressure and you, mm. you don't enjoy it as yeah. much. And if you ruin the turkey, then... You need to have yeah. practice turkeys. Oh, yeah. To be ready for the big day. Yeah, we. I always tell my wife, you need more practice turkeys. And she said, I live with a turkey. I'm good. Wow. She's so rude about the kids. I've yeah, bowled you... a turkey. Have you? Multiple times. How'd it go? Uh, what do you mean? Gutter turkey. Did you gutter? No, you gutter, no, 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 no. Did you gutter ball it? I once bowled six strikes in a row and got a 210. Were the... Uh, I have the printout. Were the... Uh, what do they call bumpers up? No. Just checking. Not to be rude. Just checking. You're a monster. Today, by the way, Giving Tuesday. It's where we recognize that you don't have to just spend, consume, consume, take, get, 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 get. You can also give. See, I I feel like during you know the, this time of the year where giving is more. On people's minds, yeah. I like to I like to help people in the process of giving by receiving by being the receiver. When you give, someone must be there to receive, or there is no give. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing worse than giving with no one to receive it. Everyone talks about being the giver, and no one gives any focus to the receiver. That is so noble of you. So I I leave myself open to receive all gifts from everyone, just so that they have the, the that chance of being a giver in their life. What do you think about that? I think I know what gift I'm getting you. Well, I also reserve the right to throw it away. But. So if I gave you tickets to go learn, take a class on square dancing. Yeah. I'd with, say, thank you very much. I really appreciate this. And, and then, then you'd then go there, right? Drop in the recycling bin on the way out. Today's square dancing day. The gift that keeps giving. Just like the jelly of the month club. Wow. Exactly. You combine those two, Jelly of the Month and Square Dancing, you've you've got a hit. You've got something. Everybody needs to, I think, get really good at line dancing and square dancing because then you can be the hit of any hoedown. How often do you end up at a hoedown? It's kind of a personal question. Is it really? Yeah. Okay. I didn't think we were going to go that personal. I no, I mean. I mean, I end up there regularly. At barn dances? Yeah. Okay. This guy's great. He's got a future. Do you remember the stress that this caused in sixth grade when you had to figure out left hand promenade, promenade, promenade? Mostly it was left the, hand curtsy. It was the dance card we had to fill out where you had to walk up to yeah. girls that are in your class that you'd made fun of. You didn't really, hey, do you want to dance? It wasn't really that kind of a conversation. Yeah. Now you're having that conversation. It was kind of odd. And they're like, you will dance with her. Yeah. How does that go in German? 
Or in Russian? How does it sound in Russian when they Tansavat. say... Tansavat. Yeah. Say it more sinister. More evil. Tansavat. There we go. <laughs> There's the TV I grew up loving. You know, Every... it, it's not as evil. It's not as menacing when you've got the hoedown music behind yeah, it. Yeah, it kind of takes out that What are you going to do? Edge. So much to talk about. Uh, in a minute, we'll get to the man that burned down his, uh, or tried to burn down his ex's home with Cheetos. Hmm. You know, sad, sad, sad. And day. they weren't flaming hot Cheetos either. Not they flaming just Cheetos. Hot. They were just regular Cheetos. Hmm. We'll get to all that fun. Plus, Julie K. Nelson will be joining us talking about the importance of uh, eating regular meals together as a family. Some of the research behind that is really amazing. It might be the fastest way to strengthen your family. But how do you get the five-year-old to sit down and stop walking around the table? Mm, good point. Takes you a get bite. A, a square dance collar. He yeah. takes a bite of food and just starts wandering the house, like sit down and eat. Duct tape. Is that what it is? That's what they used in college. Man. So your kid doesn't eat either. No. Okay. See, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't you, alone on you that. You guys must have four and five-year-olds. Yeah. Yeah. Wait till they're fourteen. Then you can't get them to stop eating. Well, that's fine. There's there's food to eat, and he just looks at it. He'll grow out of that. Don't give him a Cheeto, though, because he'll burn oh, he the house loves, down. He loves the Cheetos. Well, we'll find out. It's going to be deadly. But first, let's get to Sadie. Sadie Nielsen with the headline. Sadie, what's going on? Democrats on Monday made their strongest call to date for a congressional investigation into President-elect Donald Trump's business entanglements and possible conflicts of interest, asking the GOP's top House investigator to launch a formal probe. The Democrats said their phone lines have been flooded by supporters of an investigation into Trump's business dealings, jamming our phone lines with more calls than we have ever received in response to any other issue. On Monday, the White House dismissed President-elect Donald Trump's claim that millions of people had voted illegally in the presidential election. White House Press Secretary Josh Earnest said there has been no evidence to produce produced to substantiate a claim like that, but that he would defer to the president-elect's team for commentary on his tweets. President-elect Donald Trump will sit down with Mitt Romney again on Tuesday as deliberation continues over who will be appointed Secretary of State. Though Romney has drawn public criticism from Trump aide Kellyanne Conway, the second sit-down is a fueling speculation that Romney may get the job. Also in the running are the former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani and retired General David Petraeus, who Trump met with Monday. Trump will also meet Tuesday with Senate Foreign Relations Committee Chairman Bob Corker, among others. And finally, yes. so we talked about the mannequin challenge kind of being a thing right now, um, but there is a new challenge what? coming in. It's called the backpack challenge. <laughs> now, these, the are, ma- these are fun. Now, the kids I, have been challenged by their backpacks for years. Yes, it's true. Very Think true. of a gauntlet. Oh, boy. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So the whole thing is that they have to run through a gauntlet of people throwing bags at them. So there's two rows of people. Heavy backpacks. Very heavy backpacks that look like they've been loaded with bowling balls or something. And these people run through and they're just hurling backpacks at them. Really? It's ridiculous. And so people are very concerned, though, that this could be a hazard to people's health. Yeah. And uh, so they're still trying to assess what they should do. The technique is you duck your head and run as fast as you can. And then people start chucking backpacks at you full of books. Except you end up in a pile of backpacks. Well, inevitably, somebody the throws end. the backpack at your feet, and then you fall on your face. The first video shows a kid with a bloody lip. 
Oh, yeah. You get hurt. Hence the hazard of the competition. But if you've got AP students doing this, that kid will die. Because yes. they've got AP books, big books. Exactly. Huge, big books. <gasps> I think this one was, I think this one did die. <laughs> Just goes to prove that people will do anything. Holy cow, what is happening? To get happening? YouTube famous now. That'll be your post-show YouTube. Yeah. This is, I think, this is all Trump. Is it? Yeah. So kind of like how we blame Obama for everything, we just blame Trump for now everything Trump now? Now Trump will be blamed for everything. So they has to, he has to run through the gauntlet, and they're just... Just clobbering each other. Oh, that's <laughs> just crazy. Oh, man, I'm getting my kids out of school. See, this is why people homeschool. Is that what I mean? Yeah, yeah, there's not one of these going on at home. Is this, is this uh, what it means to, be, to book it? Yeah. Oh. Or, or be booked. Whichever. Book them, Dano. You got it, sir. Let me get my backpack. Then crunch. You know, Man. there's a problem when the phone book at home disappears. Even though most houses don't have a phone book, no, if you do it, have a phone book and it disappears, my daughter, I was at her house and she just got a new phone book, and I'm like, "What do you do with that?" Recycling. She says, it's "Just a booster for the kids." Oh, to there you on. go. Put it in a museum. <laughs> a lot of paper, a lot of waste. There's a, a woman with a bloody face and black eyes from the backpack challenge. Yeah, it's fun. It's it's uh, character Bring, building. Bringing kids together. One. Dislocated vertebrate attack. I spent an hour watching these videos last week. Yep. It was awesome. You must have had a holiday weekend. <sighs> okay, we got to get to the man uh, who used Cheetos to try to burn down his ex's house, which, by the way, I love me a good Cheeto. Mm-hmm. And this just. It's really improper use me. of the Cheeto. A Massachusetts man who tried to use a Cheeto, Cheetos to burn down his ex girlfriend's house has been sentenced to 36 months in jail this week. According to the Taunton Daily Gazette, burning down the house, the music we're playing here, hmm. the victim and her friend called police in March to report 31-year-old Shemroy Williams attempting to set fire to the house in five different places, including placing a propane tank against uh, the house. Officers arrived and found Williams with two lighters and an empty package of Cheetos. The so victim, he's caught orange-handed. Yeah. Sorry. The victim told police Williams had been stalking her, even going so far as to try to cut the wires underneath her car that he mistakenly thought were brake lines. Ooh. No wonder her blinkers didn't work. <laughs> That's so sad. <laughs> the victim told police Williams had been stalking her and um, what he had done with the Cheetos. The Cheetos seemed a little strange, the officers thought. But a quick Google search shows that the uh, Cheetos and other chips actually make a decent kindling. It's the puffs. When you get to the bottom half of that bag, they're just swimming in cheese. Yeah. Is it the cheese or is it just the the puffy or is it just the chemicals inside of the Cheeto? When the cheese reacts with the ingredients of the puffs, the two do not go well together. Yeah, it's probably the puffs you, that are the kindling. Yeah. But the, the, the cheese dust is toxic, right? Is so it? So you light probably. Well, come on. It's not healthy. So you light it on fire. It's it's a natural color of orange. <laughs> not that natural. Orange is one of the most natural colors that exists. Out Where? There. Where? Um, uh, Donald Trump. Okay. That's not natural, though. <laughs> How do that's, you know? It's self-applied. He's right. flammable, too. He probably has a guy that slathers him with his orange hue as he walks out the door. Um, how would you like that job? <laughs> yeah. I, would you like yeah. some more orange, Mr. Trump? Someone staples the hair to his head, and then yeah. someone puts the orange on. So <laughs> I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> Bentley, oil me up. 
You got it, sir. I did not know Cheetos were flammable. Apparently, they, well, well, let's try it after the show. Let's do it. Get some Cheetos, try to light them and see what happens. We'll have to borrow uh, Julie's lighter. Okay. <laughs> we don't have lighters here. Our next guest, Julie, always carries a lighter with her because she's the bomb mom. She she's prepared. She doesn't leave home without it. She's got a tourniquet. A lighter, a plunger, a and a tourniquet. and a plunger. She's got everything. We'll, uh, we'll, in, we'll introduce you to Julie Nelson in just a minute. Um, a couple of other stories, though, that we, we really probably need to get out of our system here. One of them is, um, oh, this is crazy. Truck driver who was fired via text. Yeah. So, I've been dumped via text or via email. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Your mom's rude. Was it your mom? You're a monster. Pennsylvania truck driver was arrested for allegedly dumping nearly 1,000 bushels of corn on a Nebraska road after he was fired via text. Wow. Authorities said Darren Walt, 36, had been driving a load of corn in a Peterbilt truck for B&T Livingston Trucking, LLC, when he received a text message on August 4th telling him that he had been fired. Pack your stuff. ASAP, and you can leave. I'm sorry. I wouldn't you think that if you had an employee that was driving a truck Your of truck. precious cargo, right? You would not choose. No, I'd wait till he got home. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> and then I'd have my assistant fire. I think he had it coming to him. Yeah. Uh, pack your stuff ASAP, he said. The police report quoted the text as reading: Walp, who had been taking a load of corn to Hanover, Kansas, then allegedly dumped the entire load of corn, nearly 1,000 bushels, on the westbound lane of Highway 8. Just dumped it. Right in the middle of the road. Right in the middle of the road. Hmm. The corn was spread out for a quarter of a mile due to the driver speeding off with the, the truck back doors open. Authorities said the lost corn was valued at $3,000, roughly, and the cleanup cost was about 500 bucks. Oh. But now Walp has been charged with a felony. Hmm. And, uh, you know, you can't, you're not allowed to dump anything you want on the freeway, even if you've been fired. You know what, though? Jimmy dropped corn on the freeway, and I don't care. Is that? I did not know that that was what the song was about. Was Illegal crack, dumping of it was corn. Crack corn. Yeah. Well, it's cracked once it fell out of the truck, for yeah, sure. Yeah, cracked it in half. Done cracked it right, right. up. So, uh, you know. If you're going to fire somebody, as we try to help everybody on the show, if you're going to fire somebody, there's a process. That'd don't be like do it via text. That'd no. be like Don firing us mid-show, but he still wanted us yeah. to do the rest of the show. Yeah, like Don's in another part of the building. We just horrible the idea. Door and go crazy. Bad idea. Yeah, Friday once the show's over, that's when we are worried every week. Yeah, they could come in and just say, "Hey, you're out of here." Many times, Don wonders if the show is already over, like by the third hour of the show. Yeah. You guys mailing it in already? Yeah, we're there. <laughs> it's hard. It's so hard. Um, interesting stuff. Well, we'll take a break. When we come back, Julie Nelson will be talking about the benefits of eating regular meals with your family. Some of the research is incredible. It might be one of the fastest ways and really the easiest ways to to boost your, your family and self-esteem, self-worth. Tons of cool stuff there. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live healthier, happier lives. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us is Julie K. Nelson, also known as the Bomb Mom. If you go to her website, A Spoonful of Parenting, that's all you need to know. She's She is a professor at uh, Utah Valley University, teaches applied parenting and marriage and relationship skills there. She also has a master's degree in marriage and family and human development, author of Parenting with Spiritual Power, and Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger. 25 Tips for Surviving Parenthood. She also carries a lighter. <laughs> and a tourniquet, apparently. And a plunger. You really and a don't. bag of Cheetos. And we, a pack of Cheetos wherever I go. Yeah, kindling. We didn't know, uh, we don't know if you actually carry a lighter. I, but you carry, you're a very prepared woman. <laughs> I am, but I don't have a lighter. Okay. I'm sorry. We Good. cannot torch the place with a bag of Cheetos today. We'll have to go find someone else with a lighter. <laughs> so talk to us, Julie. What uh, you? We just had Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. lots of fun with the family, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of power there at the dinner table. Yeah, I think that's why we are Thanksgiving appeals to us because it's a really simple holiday. Well, okay. Ish. Ish. Yeah. More than like, say, Christmas. Yeah, yeah. If we keep it simple and just kind of concentrate on it, it's just mealtime, enjoying food together around the table with people we love. Mm. And, you know, there's not a lot of expense like Christmas and there's not a lot of hoo ha like is in New Year's and stuff. So it's just, it should be a time of just giving thanks and just sitting around the table holding hands and saying grace and being thankful, right? Beautiful, yeah. The way it's supposed to be, right? right? Or you sit there with Weird Uncle Larry wondering (laughs) why he was arrested last week. It could be a drama filled day as well, depending <laughs> on your family dynamics. But in theory, it's supposed to be this beautiful holiday that we are supposed to enjoy. And that if you can take that idea, that theory, and apply it to, we shouldn't just have this once a year sitting around the table and stare at people that we don't even hardly know, or right. weird Uncle Harry. But we sit around with people that we love, and especially with our kids. That's the way that we reconnect each day. It could be the one day we plug into each other and unplug our phones. It there could you be. go. That could if be we, the day. If we do have some kind of you know boundary saying, hey, let's unplug our phones for the next you know, 15 minutes. I think that's kind of essential and take and take the TV away and, you know, don't have yeah. that as well. But just kind of just to check in, I think that could be the one time of day where we really just let our kids know, hey, I care about you. Let's talk about how things are going. And it uh, it has been shown in research that if we just take a, a uh, you know, as frequent as we can, it may not be every yeah, day. Everyone can't do every day. But do as often as you can. It doesn't even have to be dinner time. Some p- families modify it and do breakfast together, hmm. but it can't be a rushed, hurried thing. It needs yeah. to still have the qualities of sitting around and talking to each other. But whatever it is for you, it can be 5 o'clock, it could be 8 o'clock at night, but have some kind of a, a dinner time or a meal time together as often as you can. And here are some of the amazing outcomes that research has shown um, that we can, if we have provide meal frequency and a positive mealtime atmosphere... We're going to have better – we're going to have kids with healthy eating patterns mm. and less likely to have eating disorders. Um, in a study of five, almost 5,000 children ages 11 to 18, frequent family meals were associated with lower risks of smoking, drinking, using not using marijuana, lower incidence of depressive symptoms and suicidal thoughts, and better grades. Um, a survey of 12 to 17-year-olds found teenagers reported eating two or fewer meals. They were more than one and a half 
times more likely to smoke, drink, use illegal substances than were teenagers who had five to seven times a, you know, a, a week family meals. What are they feeding these kids? <laughs> so it's, is, is it, is it yeah. the family Cheetos, time? Cheetos. Well, it must be the you Cheetos. Know, doesn't, I don't, and you know, we can talk about health benefits as far as you know, when you do eat at home, it is healthier for yeah. you. But you know, even if you do feed them Cheetos and hot dogs, whatever, it's, it's the connection of that I care about you and I want to know how you're doing in your life rather than going out there and finding self-worth from hmm. other people mm-hmm. who may be pulling your kid down. And you know, more deviant behaviors happen after 5 p.m. Well, that um, makes so if you have your kids home whenever to eat five or six or seven, then they're going to most likely stay home at that point. Maybe they don't, but at least at that point, you've given them a reference point of here's people that matter that love you. Yeah. And there's a kind of a comparison between home life, which should be one of love and acceptance and I care. And then when they go out, they'll probably uh, make better choices based on the foundation and the principles you've taught them for those. It's you a know. big deal. It's a big deal. And so, it's such a simple thing. Yeah. Yeah, you have. It, it is something you could, could get do. better at. You know, 15 minutes, it's all we're asking. Yeah. And you can make it a quick meal. You can even get your paper plates out. It doesn't matter. You have right. your china. Right. But they just say that, you know, even girls who report having more frequent meals have a positive atmosphere. Uh, and atmosphere there, they're more less likely to have the eating disorders and mm. having sexually, um, you know, experiences with, you know, with older guys. Yeah. So I want to talk today about positive. It's not sit down and drill your kids and say, how are your grades? Who are you yeah. hanging out with? You know, kind of like they're in the inter- right. interrogation right. chair. This isn't right? the Gestapo. Right. Yeah. So I want to play a fun game that's a fun that anyone can do, and we've maybe you know played it before, but it's just something where you just talk about with your kids how things are going, make it light, make it fun. And there's a there's lots of games you can play. You can talk about the news, what's going on in the news, mm. or what you learned today, or what good what nice thing did you do for someone today? Because kids, I have my kids ask me a lot about what's going on politically. Mm-hmm. So it's just a chance for them to ask and you to talk and you to ask, but not like so. Mm-hmm. Did you pass the test or not? Yeah, it can be a time of sharing. What did you love about your day day? What best part, worst part? Um, say something nice about the person to your right. Mm. Um, just, but it should be not this interrogation. You're forced to do anything. Yeah. But here's something fun that okay, even kids, kids do that do? don't like to talk. I'm going to talk today about kids that don't even like to talk. Or if you want to do a conversation starter, this is a great game. It's called Would You Rather. Have you oh, played this before? Uh, we played all it's the time. It's a great one. So Matt, I'm going to play this yeah, game yeah, yeah, with this you. Is great. And we're going to show our okay. audience what you do. You just take two things like this. Um, would you rather, Matt? Yes. Eat Lay's potato chips or Pringles? Uh, Pringles. Mm-hmm. They just fit in your mouth. So they nicely. do. Right, right mm-hmm. there. Right. Would you rather win an Oscar or a Nobel Peace Prize? A Nobel Peace Prize. Of course. <laughs> Who wants an Oscar? Right. Uh, would you rather have a constantly runny nose or an itchy scalp? <laughs> well, I'd rather have. You have to choose. Can I wear a hat? <laughs> Runny nose or itchy scalp all the time. Oh, they would both drive me crazy. <laughs> I'm going with the uh, running nose. All right. Ooh. Would you rather be on the run from the police or be homeless? Wow. When I'm on the run from the police, do I have money? You've robbed a bank. Oh, I'll run like crazy. <laughs> That sounds horrible. <laughs> okay. Is it uh, preferably to be with Jennifer Aniston or Angelina Jolie? I'd rather be with my wife. Yeah? Nope. You can't answer that. I like. You mean just so I could be with them and like just talk about life? Who would you? Who do you like better, Jennifer Aniston or Jen- Angelina Jolie? I, I'm going with- Brad Pitt loves them both apparently. I so. know. Uh, uh, Jennifer Aniston. Okay. okay. 
Yeah. Um, in the Olympics, you mm-hmm. can be an Olympic. You can win the gold medal. Would you rather win it? Which would you be more proud of? <laughs> Your prowess with curling in the winter sports <laughs> yeah, yeah. or ping pong in the summer? Ping pong in the summer, right. for sure. That would mean you're an Asian, actually. Then. Yeah, because okay. those guys are incredible. Have you seen it? I, we love it. We watch it all the time. It's like in fast motion. It's like, uh-huh. this can't be real. I, I play a lot like that. Uh-huh. I do. If really you were do. to turn it down, like if you'd slow, slow motion, mm-hmm. that would be me. That's I meet you. Okay, Temple Run or Candy Crush, <sighs> or Deer Deer Hunter. Deer Hunter twenty seventeen. I, I, I was going to put that in For there, sure. but I thought no, you choose that one. So I, I or I like on, Temple Run. I pur- purposely but it put exhausts me. I okay. get so tired. Temple of Run. Me. All right. Yeah. Would you rather um, have to kill the animals that you eat for meat from now on, or never eat meat again? Oh, I'd have to kill the animal. <laughs> me. <laughs> The animals are going to die. Here's the deal. This is a different game than we were used to playing. Okay. Because I play, when I play Would You Rather, it's more like, would you rather lick a goat or be licked by a hippopotamus? Yeah. Well, I have a licking one. Here's this one. Would you rather lick the peanut butter off a hobo's foot <laughs> or lose $2,000 in the stock market? Well, I've done both. <laughs> That sounds horrible. You've done them both? Yeah. I yeah. love peanut butter. Off a hobo's foot? Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. Do hobos still exist? <laughs> and, and why do they have peanut butter on the bottom of their foot? <laughs> Excuse me, Sarah. You've got some peanut butter can, on can your I lick foot. That? Can I lick that off for you? Oh, see, that, see, that's where you learn a lot about your kids. But you can't – like if you do that around the dinner table, my wife would be like, okay, gross, stop. And there's some really gross ones that I totally left out because that would ruin your appetite. But the point is to ask them why yeah. and get them talking. That's that's how you can get anybody that won't talk talking. Uh-huh. Or even they'll start smiling and eventually they'll kind of chime in. You know, But it's great. one of those icebreakers with kids who won't talk and it's a great mealtime. See, okay, what a great mm-hmm. simple game. Let's take a break, come back. Continue discussing the benefits of dinner time with the family. And then I'll learn more about you. And let's play more games. Yeah, yeah. This is great. I really wouldn't lick the peanut butter off a foot of a hobo. You'd rather lose $2,000? No, I would get a spoon and just scrape it off. (laughs) That's not not your choice. I'm not not disgusting. (laughs) Darn it. Stick with us, folks. We'll be back. More uh, from Julie K. Nelson and a spoonful of parenting and peanut butter. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. Joining us, Julie K. Nelson, the bomb mom, the child whisperer, and author of uh, Parenting with Spiritual Power and Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger, 25 Tips for Surviving Parenthood. She is here today talking about the importance of the family dinner uh, around the dinner table. If you can do it, it... It has a, a variety of benefits, yeah. including here, let's just some. give us some more. Uh, less likely to have eating disorders for your kids, lower risk of smoking, drinking, using marijuana, lower incidence of depressive symptoms, suicidal thoughts, better grades, hmm. less likely to have sexually active friends. In other words, um, here's one that's specific. We noticed that the more often teens had dinner with their parents, the less likely they were to have sexually active friends, less likely girls were to have boyfriends two years older, and the less... Um, teens spent with boyfriends or girlfriends because you know what? You need validation. You need to know people love you. If it's not your parents, 
then you'll find someone else that right. loves you. And oftentimes it's a 15-year-old girl looking for an 18-year-old boy to fill in her father's role. Right. So make it home the place that they feel the love and the acceptance and the validation. And the dinner time can be that place where it happens. That's cool. That's so true. And it, again, it's you don't have to be perfect at it. Mm-mm. Any improvement you make would improve a lot eating, of those factors. If you're not eating at all, then try one, like try Sunday dinners. Mm. Right now, just try Sunday dinners or Saturday morning breakfast together. You know, make some kind of a tradition. We're going to start this now. What if every meal involves kale? Uh, would it have the same effect as Ooh. being so positive? It seems like it would run the kids away. Right, so. right. You got to serve food that they want to come for. Give it, give a Cheeto here and there. You know, and I often will, um, when my kids were younger, would have some kind of a routine where they got to choose and help me prepare the meal for the week that they mm. and they felt empowered as far as they were learning how to cook and they were spending time with me in the kitchen preparing it as well and they got to eat what they loved that night. Huge. So that was yeah. really huge. So the, remember, the mealtime environment needs to be supportive in order to unite the family. Children will not want to come to dinner if they're being continually criticized for their behavior, elbows off the table, quit shooting. I mean, you know, that kind yeah. of stuff. You can and, teach. And you just don't. It's not. Your grades are, you know, you're bad. You're going to get punished. That sort of stuff. So they need to be warmth, fun, humor, and positive discussion. So, you know, tell us about the funniest thing that happened to you today or the what was your best worst. Um, you know, tell tell us about, you know, what what's going on with your, with your friends. But some kids shut down. They don't want to. They feel like it's too much revealing. And mm-hmm. so if you play fun games like the would you rather or just talk about the news, some safe topics, yeah. then you really get kids to be engaged. Good point. So here's some would you rather. Would you rather be Miley Cyrus, Matt, or <laughs> Lindsay Lohan? Oh, boy. <laughs> um, I guess Miley's got a great dad, I guess. Mm. I don't know Lindsay's dad. I don't think she likes her parents. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In other words, you want to be a really messed up actress. Achy, breaky heart. Or Who doesn't a love messed that? up singer. Yeah. Okay. Um, would you rather have blue skin for the rest of your life or red skin for the rest of your life? Mm, I'm a red guy. Okay. You're wearing red today. Yeah. All right. How about this one? This is an interesting one. How about would you rather eat nothing for three days or eat the same meal for a month? Oh, I'm fine with the same meal for a month. Are you really? It makes my life so easy. Man, I would totally go for the nothing for three days. Really? I have to have a right here. I gag. Wow. Okay, here's a good one for you. Don't, don't gag. Go ahead. <laughs> Would you rather have loved and lost or never have loved at all? Um, loved and lost. Mm-hmm. Repeatedly. Oh, heart. Breaking no, heart. No, that would be horrible heart. Okay, yeah. how about oh, – I'm not going to ask you this. I don't even know the answer to that one. Um, be a uh, – I was going to say Mac or Windows, but you're a Mac man. Mm-hmm. Uh, be a centaur or a merman? <laughs> Um, I think centaurs look totally freaky. <laughs> but a merman, now that's a man. If you're okay. going, and there's all these mermaids out there mm-hmm. that need a merman. Okay. That's right. I love swimming. Do do centaurs mate? I mean, mermaids mate, well, I don't right? Know. Let's ask somebody that knows. Jeff? Do mermaids mate? Do centaurs mate? mate? Oh, this is more of a Terry question. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Terry would know that. We'll ask Terry later. But I, was, I would go for the merman just so that, you know, you could have the hair blowing in the wind moment. Oh, that would look so yeah. good. Yeah. Just as you're But see, so there's of, no wind below the ocean. No, but you're sunning. But you surface you sun. every once in a while. Oh, you surface. You just sun on a little island. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I've, I've seen mermaids with families, and they can have boyfriends and girlfriends, but yeah. the centaurs, no. No, centaurs, know. no. That'd be a lonely life. No, and then when you, like, break an ankle, you're just... They got to put you down. <laughs> it ain't pretty. Okay. Someone's got to shoot the centaur. <laughs> How about 
about this. My family loved this one. Wear Crocs for the rest of your life or wear sandals with socks. I mean, socks with sandals for oh, the rest of your life. I wear both. I don't see the problem. <laughs> you are the ultimate geek. I am the ultimate geek. But your feet have got to be comfortable. So Crocs, hello. Oh. And I'd wear Crocs with socks. We have banned Crocs from our family. Have you really? Yeah, we have. Rude. Here's a provocative one. Yeah. Never read another book mm. or never hear another song. Is there Netflix? <laughs> I would I would I have to hear a song. No, there's no songs. Like I, guess I know, so I would so I have to I would never hear another I'd never read another book. Yeah. I thought about I could just do audiobooks on yeah. that one. Okay, how about this one? You can cheat. I'd rather this? never hear another song because I, I could always just keep singing the songs that I remember. Yeah, but that's. But I can't. Yeah. I can't keep reciting. But on behalf of everyone else around text, you, we don't want to hear you singing for their. Single. It would be better if you just got rid of the book. <laughs> keep the songs. Uh, how about this? Uh, would you rather eat for breakfast every morning only jelly beans or only hot wings? Hot wings for sure. Mm-hmm. Superpower: being invisible or flying. Oh, invisible! Do you really? have any any idea how much trouble you could get into? I would totally do flying. I have dreams of flying, right? Oh, I would like to fly, too. I didn't think about that. But if you could fly invisibly, oh, that, that would be... be the, that would be the ultimate superpower. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, yeah. But you could sneak on cruise ships. You could... Airplanes. You airplanes. could fly invisible. You fly for free until some guy sits on you. You could just fly. You don't even have to go on the airplane. I know, but you'd miss the peanuts and the... <laughs> the water. Give us give us two more. Okay, Would two you more. rather? Would you rather only listen to bagpipe music for the rest of your life or only banjo music? Oh, I love both of them. Um, well, I'm going to go with bagpipe because if you want, I want bagpipes at my funeral. Oh, so then you could never die. So you'd have to have bagpipes. But I want him to play um, Sweet Child of Mine on the bagpipe. Oh, my. My daughter said banjo, duh. She can't stand bagpipe. All right. Here's a good one. <laughs> never be able to touch anyone again or talk to anyone again. Oh, I'd love to not talk to anyone ever again. <laughs> That's why you're a radio That's why I'm host. on the radio. <laughs> I'm sick and tired You'd of talking. You'd be out of a job. Yeah. All right. Oh, that's great. We learned a lot about you, Matt. This is fun. So fun. We so ought to play the game more often. As often as you can, folks, have meals together. If they if they revolt, just get some some simple foods like Cheetos. Yeah. You know, and then light the house on fire afterwards. And have involve them, like you say. Bonfire. And it's not, this isn't like, it's not the Inquisition. No, it's just. Just talk. Yeah. And Let's start with five out. minutes. Just and, and my kids, I when I told them they couldn't bring their phones, I thought that they were going to die. Yeah. Like that I was ripping an IV out of their arms. I just said five minutes. We started with five minutes. Did anyone die? And no one died. You know, and actually it turned into actually longer than five. But I just told them, give me, give me five and no one will die. And they could unplug for five minutes. Yeah. To begin and it worked. Just soak this in for a minute. The bagpipe music. This is Sweet Child of Mine on bagpipes. <laughs> is it really? <laughs> Well, we got to wait for the crescendo. Uh, I'm out of here. I hate that. Julie K. Nelson's her name. Go check out her website, a spoonfulofparenting.com, and get her books. Those would be great for Christmas. Yeah, they would be. Give it to the neighbors next door that are messing up their kids. You somehow. hear them yelling all the time. We will now leave you with a little taste of Sweet Child of Mine on the bagpipes. Circle to the left, don't step on her. Circle to the left, go round the round. Circle to the left, and then.
Would you circle to the left already? Come on! Hey, welcome back to the show. We're going to shoot it down to our good uh, square dancing uh, duo, Spencer and Jerem at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. We're ready for a bluegrass two-step. <laughs> yeah! Hey, when you hear that song, a little uh, square dancing caller, what uh, comes out? What comes into your mind? I think of a lame family reunion. <laughs> I think of my lone trip to Lexington, Kentucky in Kentucky. 2007. Why? What happened? Oh, I just, I don't know. For oh. whatever reason, I associated uh, bluegrass dancing and square dancing with uh, the city of Lexington, Kentucky. What, and that's what how happens, it's always been. What happens Spencer, in Lexington yeah. stays in Lexington, huh? Spencer went to BYU versus Xavier. I did do that in the NCAA tournament. tournament. The greatest college basketball experience I've ever had because it was the NCAA tournament in one of the most iconic arenas, Rupp Arena. Wow. And the square dancing. And, of course, the square dancing. (laughs) So square. So, so, so square. Hey, uh, by the way, guys, today is square dancing day. So Is is that that the correlation there? Uh Square dancing day. (laughs) Boy. Jerem's going into his West Virginia voice. Would somebody, somebody get Jerem's teeth and put them in? Mountain one, there, nine and two, Spencer. <laughs> Be Brigham. He's good. Pioneer the West. <laughs> Almost sounds like Bill Cosby, though. That's Bill Cosby uh, in West Virginia. Yeah, Jerem has a, little bit of, he has a little bit of Bill Cosby in all of his impersonations. Wow. That was. Should we be bringing up Bill Cosby? Not. Probably not. <laughs> okay, just check it. Moving right along. On BYU Radio? No. Wow. Not moving right along. That's hey, 15 over at 2. Hey, we, did, we told a story earlier about. Um, did you guys know that Cheetos are flammable? Really? A guy tried to light his ex girlfriend's house on fire with Cheetos. <laughs> apparently, they make really good kindling. Kindling? They do not. <laughs> yeah, they do. They really what? do. If that's true, that mm-hmm. changes everything because then. If you go camping or whatever, yeah, you don't have to no. go find you some kindling. No, mom, I got you some Cheetos. You just bring Cheetos. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And you buy the flaming hot Cheetos. <laughs> oh, yeah. They they probably it's really a blue light up. Flame, Spencer, with that, that kindling. <laughs> Matt, do you see what you've done? I know. You wait till you get to hear your show. That's oh. one hour of that. I was also looking up uh, why Mississippi or Ole Miss, Mississippi State is called the Egg Bowl. So I was like, they're, they're down there in Mississippi. They're called the Egg Bowl, boy. <laughs> you you sound like LSU coach. Oh yeah, he sounds like the Firefly from the Disney movie, uh, <laughs> The Princess and the Frog. Oh, there you go. Does he not? Then Louisiana, I I kid you not. I brought gumbo to eat for lunch today. You did? Yeah. So you knew? You knew? Campbell chunk his soup, boy. Go heat up in them down microwave. <laughs> Who is, what's the Firefly's name in the Princess of the Frog? Oh, his name is Raymond. Raymond the Firefly. <laughs> How do you know that? Because I, he has Google. I just Googled it. That's, you Googled it? That's kind of sad. You know, got a computer machine, boy. I want to play a clip now. I'm going to try and find a clip of Raymond, and you can tell me if you think Jeremy sounds yeah, like Yeah, no, Raymond. we ought to we ought to look it up. Look up Raymond the Firefly. Here we go. My name, Raymond. Oh, there it is. Oh, that is so good. Mine's more of a mountaineer. Yours is a yeah. Yours is who, you're who, not, you're not around the water. Who wrote, wrote his pig to DC to go see the Cougars and Mountaineers play. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, have hey guys, have you heard about Taysom? How's he doing? Uh, any news? Not, any news? Not good. The news is that he's done. Oh, brother. Left elbow strain, meaning there was a tear in there. So <laughs> his BYU career is over. So today uh, we're going to uh, discuss the legacy of Taysom Hill. Yeah, no uh, way. I, mean, I wore a black it, shirt. It just it stinks. It hurts. That hurts bad. It yeah, literally. I mean, how many times have you strained your elbow like getting out of bed? I've never strained my elbow. I guess it wasn't a strain. Stra- See, strain's a weird word because you it think is. like, oh, it just like tweaked. It's no, just no, like there a was little... a tear. Yeah. in there. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. So He's... Tanner Mangum will start the uh, bowl game. Tanner's like Hill. the bowl guy. Well, he went down thirty-five nothing and then scored twenty-eight. Yeah. Yeah. Let's <laughs> not do that this year. Yeah, you always <laughs> started uh, four different quarterbacks the last four bowl games. Wow, kind of weird. That's that's a problem. Yeah, yeah not yeah. good. It, what's interesting is it will, it, and we'll talk uh, at length about oh, yeah. Jason Hill today. We won't push forward um, quite yet to Tanner, but Tanner Mangum and Jamal Williams will have one game starting together. Mm. Interesting. Mm. In San Diego. Still waiting on that opponent. We should know Sunday. And, and then everybody will make grash, uh, grash, uh, I like gross, grash, grash, grash. I love gross grash. rationalizations about what the season would have been like because of one bowl game. If with Tanner and Jamal, if Tanner's good, right? Oh, or if he's if bad, ta- like oh, it wouldn't have been much better. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. There will be grash. There will be grash, It'll which be is grash. a short for gross rationalizations. But I've never oh, heard I'm of the word. Are you making up? You're backside. making up words now, huh? Grash. <laughs> I Listen, love when you when you do a daily sports show, you can do that. Yeah. You know how it is, Matt. Oh, totally. We every make up day, uh, every day. Hours. We make up stuff every moment of every day. Yeah, man. Hey, um, anything else on the show? You're still going to finish. Riley the show. Nelson's back. Oh wow, in the studio. He's not going to play, is he? No. Okay. Don't. don't yeah. Don't forget. Um, yeah, he's just in studio, uh, which would be great. He, he was a teammate of Taysom Hill's. Mm. Uh, his thoughts on the 2016 uh, offense. Mm. I can't and, get over the Taysom thing. And Blaine Fowler, I know. Blaine Fowler and uh, Between the Lines. You guys got a busy, busy day. Do we ever not have a busy day? Every day, boy! <laughs> yeah. Hey, how, how, do you, how do you cook up a boar? Um, Jerem? You don't get a big kettle, pour a good song there, and then you uh, put it over the fire, and then you get there. Why? The board out right there. <laughs> Why do you encourage he's him? He's the Cajun cook guy. He's Why? the he's the Cajun cook man. Yes, Jerem is from Lexington. I don't bring on the... oh, Uncle Bob. He don't show me how to do it. He's the perfect mix of Louisiana and West Virginia, right in the middle totally. spot in no Kentucky. Ginny, we call him. I'm from Utah. Come no, on. come on. You're not just from Utah. West. But your spirit is in Lexington. Li- lives in <laughs> Morgantown, West Virginia. West Virginia. <laughs> hey, oh, my goodness. Hey, do you think the NFL is going to get rid of um, Thursday night football really fast? No. They say too much, too much money. money. It might be messing with the ratings. I think that is, even if it is messing with the ratings, they're still making money, and that's what matters most. Money, oh. money, money. I know the players and the teams and the coaches hate it, but it makes money. Jeez, that's true. Even with bad ratings, it still makes money. Check, will you just check with Jerem to see if he pulled a vocal cord in that last song? Because I'm afraid he may have hurt himself. Jerem. <laughs> I can't talk. Yeah, he's ruined for I, the show. I Great. Thanks, Sorry. my voice. Nobody told him to sing money. Who let Utah State in here? 
<laughs> they always injure somebody. Okay, boys, I know you got to go stretch and get the Cheetos burning before the big fire starts. You got so. it. Go get that hunk on, boy. Knock them dead. Thanks, Cajun All Cook. Right. Thanks, Ben. See you guys. <laughs> that guy, he that's Jerem's playing the Cajun Cook guy. I don't remember his name, but there was a show, a cooking show with a Cajun man that he done cook Cajun like that. It was awesome. Sounds like an Adam Sandler character. No. Was so he was good. oh he was Canteen Boy. Oh, was he? Which then turned into the Water Boy for the movie. He he used before that he was called Canteen Boy, huh? Yeah. Hmm. That sounds interesting. Hey, um, did I tell you about this missing family they found? This is a pretty crazy cool story. A family had been missing Thursday, uh, Thanksgiving Day, and after two days trapped in their car, they survived on Halloween candy and rainwater. According to the AP, authorities had been searching rural Washington state for Jason and Melissa McAllister and their two young children, ages eight months and two years. The state uh, or the McAllisters were reported missing Tuesday night after they failed to pick uh, up their older children from the school bus. And they had been driving along a logging road when they tried to get out of the way of a or a, there was a fallen tree there. Then they got stuck and they had to, to eat the, the kids candy. You know, if if it was just Whoppers, I think I would rather starve. Oh, yeah. That's why you always get your kids good candy. You never know when you're going to need it. They drank rainwater. They actually tried to walk out one day, and uh, but they couldn't get out. Um, and so they had to return to the car that night and stay in the car, which is good good advice. Stay in the car. Just stay in the car. The hunter then, they then tried to walk out the next day, and a hunter saw them, called 911, drove them to meet the authorities at the general store and uh, where they grabbed some Cheetos and used them to warm up. The only reason I'm playing this happy music is because they're okay, right? Yeah. By the way, they're all in good health, despite dehydration and mild hypothermia. Congratulations to the McAllisters. As you know, we also like to end on a hero story. You know, leave that good feeling in your heart. Today's hero is a college quarterback that runs down a purse snatcher and tackles him. 21-year-old junior from Lockport in Niagara County uh, in New York was leaving a restaurant in his hometown on November 5th. When he saw a man run past a 73-year-old woman and yank her purse out of her arms as she was walking with her husband, Bronson then took off after the man who dropped the purse but kept running. Bronson kept running, too, and tackled the man, held him down, and helped his girlfriend's father and brother. Police arrived and arrested the man on a robbery charge. How cool is that? Bronson's off-field heroics came just hours after he piled up nearly 400 yards in total offense, ran 60 yards for a touchdown in a 37-34 home loss to Worcester Polytechnic Institute. His 192-yard rushing uh, was the most ever by a quarterback in Division Three school. So how cool is that? So they lost the game. They lost the game, and he won the hero of the day. Wow. What a stud. Daniel Bronson's his name, and uh, he's a six-foot, 190-pound quarterback. The woman screamed help. Bronson heard it, and he was on it. Chased him over a little a little more than 100 yards. Jumped on his back, Bronson said. You know, quarterbacks aren't known for their tackling. But he just jumped on the guy's back. I rode him to the pavement because I didn't want him. Uh, I didn't want to hit the concrete. So, he just, yeah, just ride the felon down. How cool. Good job. Daniel Bronson, you're the hero of the day and a studly quarterback as well. That's, uh, that's all it takes is, you know, when you hear the cry for help, you just answer. Sometimes you don't know what you're going to do until you get there. 
And you don't need to, you know, lose your life and risk your life to make it through this and to be a hero for someone else. Sometimes you just need to lose yourself a little bit and pay attention to those around us. As we learned today, maybe just have dinner with your family might make you a hero. Or being there, eating healthier, having a happier life. Little things can go a long way. That's why we do the show, folks. We'll be back again tomorrow to give you more ideas, more information to help you live longer, love stronger. Until then, make it a great one. Let's look after each other, and uh, we'll talk again tomorrow.